I don't think I, it's the only time in my life I've ever been intubated. I've never broken a bone or had a surgery. Thank God. Dude, I never broken a bone. Mm. Jeremiah, broken strong a bone? bone club. I have. I broke my collarbone. Get out of the strong bone club. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're not in it. Well, um, that's all that I know that I've broken. Okay. Fair. Oh, there's I a wonder, tough guy pitch. Right? I wonder about. <laughs> I, I may have broken another bad boy. Talk. <laughs> well, He's a bad not, boy baby. Bad I've boy not. baby talk coming big on me. This is Aaron, Jeremiah, and Nate. We play in a band together. We spent years in a band discussing music and everything else. This is a podcast mostly about everything else. Thanks for listening. I've certainly not broken anything else, but I wa- I've wondered about like stress fractures and stuff, like small fractures. I, I imagine that's happened. Yeah. It's like fingers or toes or maybe shins, you know. That stuff's like fairly... Like and that doesn't count. You don't, go you don't get kicked out of the out of the uh, what what was, the, what was the club called? Bad uh, boy, baby, bad broken baby. blood, blood <laughs> I don't broken know. bloods, the broken bad, bloods, the bad broken bone blood club. Bloods. Jeremiah, I don't remember. Jeremiah, but I did you, definitely break my collarbone. Have you ever? You can see it. Have you ever had yes, a broken so heart? Oh, <laughs> Jeremiah, have you? Dang, dude, owner of a lonely I heart. No, probably like I've probably had like. Um, I'd say three to four broken hearts. Oh, wow. That's higher. Well, let's name them. Let's do it. <laughs> let's run through the list. <laughs> Now's the time. Now's the time. I don't know about that, man. Nate, have you ever had a broken heart? Sure. Oh, man. Yeah. Probably. If I'm being. I've. I'm a, I'll say three times. Maybe it's probably more like two times than three times. Seems fair. I think I'm probably the same. Yeah. What was your youngest one? Your youngest, like, how old were do you think you were of capable of having a broken heart? Because I think my youngest was in third grade. I think I absolutely. Oh my gosh, Had one in no, third grade. It wasn't that? Well, I was. Really. Uh, no, maybe it was fifth grade. I was in in the same girl was my girlfriend. Uh, quotes, big time quotes from third to fifth grade, and I just thought she was awesome. And then I found out in fifth grade that she didn't want to be my special friend anymore and i was like super sad for a long time so dang dude maybe if you wore like some cooler clothes like had a cool starter jacket but you Uh, didn't so oh do you want to talk about (laughs) (laughs) clothes trying to talk about starter jackets (laughs) i I would i think we're going to Uh, yeah Yeah, it is a good lead into our top five this week which is favorite items of clothing that you've ever had in your entire life like all time lifetime all time and so for me, I was really taking this as like, um, like in that moment, how I felt about it. I don't necessarily still care about all of these things, but I do remember how I felt about some of these things in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Would you want to go first since it's sure, I can, such yeah. an emotional point for you? Yeah. So when I was probably five or six, um, my parents went to Louisiana, I think for maybe for a wedding or something and brought me back, um, an LSU hat. It was purple with red, uh, with yellow LSU letters. N- n- no affinity for LSU at all. I don't know why, but I was obsessed with this hat. And I like totally like bent the rim, like exactly how it was cool, like in like three different spots. And dude, I just like, was it the color or just the giftedness? It, I, of I don't know. I really don't know. Um, cause I, I still never cared about, I didn't even really connect that it was a college until later. Um, do you know the last time you saw it? 
Like I do know. I do know where. Yeah. So, do you remember a place called Discovery Zone? Yeah. Like before trampoline DZ? parks. Yeah, DZ <laughs> Discovery Zone. Yeah. Um, Wait, does Nate bef- know what Discovery Zone is? No. It was like these indoors. <laughs> they had some arcades, but then they also had like climbing jungle gyms and like, but like on a larger scale. Like, I don't know if I'm describing it right. It was Aaron, like but- preteen Nirvana. Yeah, I mean, dude, it was just like, oh, it, it was like the play pins at fast food places, but just mm-hmm. times with an arcade. 100 or whatever. And like with some an regional indoor. Probably, yeah. I think we had thing. two different ones, but DZ Discovery it was a chain. Zone um, was, was the one, man. And, and I took my shoes and hat off and put them in the cubbies, and I left without the hat. Oh. <sighs> Dude, heartbreak broke my heart. Oh my broken gosh. heart number one, right there. Uh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> all right. We're getting down to the nitty gritty. <laughs> what else you got? Uh, is is, is yours gonna make a full outfit? By the way, because you start at the top. Ooh, that'd be cool. Got a little boots in there. Or something uh, like no, I don't quite have that. Um, Cowboy boots? Come on. I don't have that, unfortunately. Um, in probably third grade, uh, finally got a pair of Samba Adidas Samba oh. tennis shoes. Mm. Mm. Those are cool. I Dude. had fake sambas for like third grade. They had four stripes. Well, everybody was getting the black and the white. I got the blue and the white, and oh. I was just like, just thought they were, it was the coolest thing. Ever. I saw someone wearing a pair of sambas the other day. And I was like, I think I want sambas again. Oh like, yeah, yeah was there. it Jesse? I've been there, bro. <laughs> oh yeah, my brother does wear them a lot, but that doesn't make me want to. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember where I was. Anyway, okay. now I don't want them anymore. Wait, no, so I don't want them. You were um, in third grade. <laughs> You said I'm in third grade. You were like, I want those in third grade. Yes. So I was yeah. super into soccer, and that's what all the like kids who were really into soccer were wearing. Were that, the, and you got to wear your umbros. Yeah, I didn't have a pair of. I mean, I had umbro shorts, but I didn't have any of the uh, umbro shoes. Yeah, um, no, no, no. I might have had umbro cleats. That makes yeah, that that is likely. But um, okay, number three was my Heath Schuler jersey. Oh, Redskins um, Heath Schuler? Yeah, Redskins Heath Schuler. Dude, I was way into this thing. And he he is widely considered one of the top five busts of all time. And so oh, now yeah. it's like one of my I was prized like, possessions. I've never heard of this person. <laughs> he, he is a politician now, a senator, I believe. Um, oh. And it's one of my prized possessions, man. I love that. Like, he's so a senator, and I still bet if you go to his Wikipedia, Nate, the first thing it says is that he's one of the all time draft busts. <laughs> like, how much do you have to succeed in life to be better than that? Like, like he was he was drafted, like, really high. Yeah, like, number then, one or two or yeah, something. He was considered, like, and... a, a can't miss pick, and he was an absolute bust. Yeah. I, I bet if you go to his, it'll probably say What's Senator his name? Herbert Schooner or something like that. <laughs> Herbert, Herbert Schooner. <laughs> Heath I'm never Schuller. gonna remember this person's completely inconsequential. Schuler, so. dude. If you were, yeah, that's big time. I'm going to look up his Wikipedia right now. Just he's to got see. a candy bar name. Pass. <laughs> 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 okay. What else um, you got, Maya? So, if you have seen me at any point in the last seven to eight years, oh, I have. I have. there's an eight. Out of ten chance you've seen me wearing the belt that I'm wearing at this exact moment. It's an Amish made belt that my wife got for me for probably like our s- second Christmas as a married couple, and it still looks 
almost brand new. This thing is unbelievable, and it's maybe my favorite piece of clothing ever. Um, I've never noticed. So, yeah, I know. I mean, it's not. Yeah, I, I don't uh, show it off. It's very simple, but I love the design. I love the way it feels. Well, one thing with, the, with with your with your like, you know, very. Um, typical pelvic thrust movements that you do all the time that I wouldn't yes, notice. Yeah, but yeah. Right. You're a big hip shaker. Let's not. I like to get down, man. I like to get down. He likes he likes the gyrations. He likes to get down. <laughs> all right, you got another, one more piece of clothing? I do have one more. It's this hat that I'm wearing now. I was going to guess that hat. You've been yeah. rocking it for a while. Um. So when my wife was seven and... Seven months and three weeks pregnant, or whatever it was, um, we took a trip to Maine uh, for a family reunion, and they only happen every three years. So it was like, oh, it's kind of tight, but we felt like we were good to go, and we didn't want to miss it for three years because if you do, then you go six years without seeing these people, and that's tough. So we went up to Maine for this family reunion, and my wife went into labor while we were in Maine, and so I bought this from like a local designer firm who made like branded main content and so this is my my mary hat that's awesome that's awesome well yeah. uh for mine i would go the first one would be in uh when i was 12 speaking of starter jackets nate everybody was Dude. getting those puffy starter jackets like the ones that were like pullovers yeah, like dude, I know. and they have your sports team on it with a big pocket and uh mm-hmm. For a while, I thought I wanted a Redskins one because I was a big, you know, Washington football fan at the time. But I went and got uh, asked for a Caps one for for Christmas, and it was the first Christmas I think I'd asked for something besides a toy. Like I was twelve, so is that like I wasn't asking for a toy or a Wait, bike? How or... how old is that team though? They're like in the seventies. Oh, okay, dude. I, so, I, I I are there different like uh, regional divisions for hockey? Yeah, yeah, we're in the Eastern, and you're more from the Western. Domain, okay, I was so. like, I literally, I, I think until I met you guys, I didn't even know that was a team. Yeah, yeah. I don't, well, think you, I even I don't hear much about the Minnesota Wild either, so no. Oh, no, dude, no you don't. If you're trying to offend me, <laughs> I'm, good I'm, luck. I'm not. I know you're not a big <laughs> hockey guy. But I got but when it. I think of like the five most iconic hockey designs, it's not the Caps. No, it's not. Real. And actually, I don't really love the branding, but I am very loyal, and so the branding has become something I like. But still, if you were to ask me to pick like the top 10 coolest jerseys out of hockey, none of them would be a Caps jersey. Um, yeah. I, don't, I just don't. But I, but I do wear their stuff more than anything because it's my team. It's where I'm from. Yeah, used yeah, to go to that. games as a kid. So my dad took us to games pretty regularly. It was super fun. I was pretty good at hockey as a kid. So he got me the jacket, and like a month later, they announced the branding change. Like They went from the classic kind of red, white, and blue hockey stick design to like this black and dark blue like eagle and there was like a cat they only did it for like five years they switched back but i remember at the time being really bummed because then i wasn't current but then my friend explained to me how that made it cooler and so i still have it and i put it on two years ago when we won everything but it was like yeah it was definitely a precious piece of clothing um from going backwards in time then jeremiah might remember this piece of clothing that i just thought was the coolest thing <laughs> i owned when our band started i was hoping i had a pair of white Levi blue jeans. <laughs> they these like dude, white jeans white and denim. Dude. I don't know why I thought they were so cool and they weren't exactly like I wasn't into skinny jeans. I wouldn't wear girls jeans, but that was what was happening at the time. Everybody was wearing girls jeans and 
they were like a little flared at the bottom. So I don't know why I like them or, but like our first four shows, I guarantee you, mm-hmm. I'm in all the pictures. I'm wearing these white jeans. Um, I definitely was all about these. You remember Namaya? Like how dumb they look? Absolutely. <laughs> I, well, I'll be honest. I didn't like, obviously that's a dumb thing to wear, but I didn't think that at the time. I was just like, obviously, oh, you know, like I got a lot of friends yeah. that can really rock some white denim, though, honestly, and they look really cool. I have no doubt you, you could, Nate, but I could not. I don't think I could, but I think, I, like I said, I got friends, and I think they just really pull it off. Yeah. and it looks awesome. Um, I've always, I've never been on top of fashion. I, I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, if I'm going uh, historically, the next one would be my beloved hoodie, which was a beloved hoodie. It was for the band Beloved who uh, in college was one of my favorite bands. They used they were kind of regional for us. They play our college a lot. And I got just a pullover, which I've always preferred pullovers to zip-ups, even though they're less practical. I just like a good pullover. I had it for like five years. I wore it all the time. I'm sure Jeremiah remembers it too. Mm-hmm. And then I went to the movies with my girlfriend, and I left it under the seat, and I went back like two minutes later, and it was never there. I never found it again. Uh, it just was the per- – it was just like the right – it wasn't too heavy. It wasn't too light. It was black. Ugh. I miss it. Um, and then I'd say, uh, oh, on tour 10 years ago, we were in Colorado. It was my birthday, and I needed a new like winter jacket. And I went into REI, and I just bought like their standard winter jacket. It's like brown. I really like it, and I've been wearing it for 10 years. So I'm, it's more just like I don't know that I have like a real love for it just so much as like that was a good purchase, mm-hmm. and you have done your job. People still ask me like, oh, is that a, is that a new jacket? I'm like literally – it's the oldest piece of clothing I still wear. Um, so there's an ad for REI for you. Just like mm-hmm. sticking it out. Makes, makes me want to go back to the Johnny Smirtle episode and just buy more quality goods that'll last me 10 years. Um, no doubt. And my last one is when I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, my good friends Dan and Savannah uh, Scheffel bought me a black jean jacket. and I knew you were going to put that on there, bro. I wear it all the time. I love it. It's like the coolest piece of clothing I own. I would never buy anything like that. I wouldn't be confident enough, but I do now because they gave it to me. And yeah, I just now I wish I'd always bought one before. Like super cool. Super thanks to Dan and Savannah, even though Dan's a turd. I love you guys. <laughs> Dan's I like called him. <laughs> I like him. He's a good Let guy. it Except be known. when he gives you a top five what do you got, candy Nate? bars. Yeah. Then you're I'm, gonna call him out. I'm surprised. Like this isn't to start a, a whole thing. I I'm just so surprised. Like I cannot even remember thinking about clothes until sixth grade. Like I don't even think it ever crossed my mind. Well, but everybody was getting starter jackets. Like you couldn't ignore it. Everybody had Adidas. You Samba's, could, like- and I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was oh. like, I cannot remember what shoes I wore. Probably until high school. Like I don't think I. I don't think like the shoes that were on my feet made a difference to me until that. Mm-hmm. And okay. I don't think I don't think I wore jeans until sixth grade. So okay. I think I probably wore sweatpants. I mean, you gotta understand, I'm a grubby little sandbox boy, right? <laughs> I don't like sports. I don't like normal things. I like my own imagination uh a lot. And uh But now you're like d- definitely the mo- well Jeremiah is super into design. Tanner's always been super fashionable, but you might know the most about fashion out of anyone I, in the I band. would say I'm actually interested in fashion. I like Yeah, fashion you a lot. do you know a lot about it. Um uh, yeah, maybe that's because I didn't do it when I was a kid. I don't know. Hmm. So I'm just yeah, I'm just surprised. I'm like, man, I can't even think I would have never known what sambas were 
or any shoe was at, mm-hmm. at, in third grade. God, I remember the first shoes I wanted were those pump shoes with the, remember those my with the pumps uh-huh. in the in the tongue yeah. were those Reeboks basketball. or whatever they were. Gosh, those were everybody wanted. Wait, they uh, were Nike. I remember oh. kids in my class having them for sure. And for sure, the um, I don't remember what they're called, the light up ones. Oh, not as much for me, but I do remember the those. Geo yeah. lights or whatever. What were those called? Soaps. You remember talking about soaps a lot? Oh, yeah. What about Heelys? He- All soaps. the kids had those. Right? Heelys were later, but soaps everybody talked about, but no one owned them. Soaps, I never man. had any of that. I had a pair. I had a pair that uh, somebody gave me. Nice, that was the only dude. way you I got one. Rails? They were like two sizes too Grind big. Some rails. You grabbed yeah. some rails. Oh yeah, yeah dude. The first. Okay. The first piece of clothing. The only one from my youth. I'm going to be able to put on this list. I think I was in fourth grade. I had a shirt, and it was a tan shirt, and on it was sewn plastic bugs, like like full size, like just like what you'd buy at a dollar store, like a big plastic (laughs) bag of plastic bugs. So they're just sewn directly on the shirt. If this is hopefully painted a picture of what my childhood is like, dude, like, that's so funny, man. So you you had sambas, I had the plastic bug shirt, <laughs> bro. <laughs> and oh. I think I actually uh, I learned to hate that shirt. I think. Why? I what? 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 Flipped the switch? Um, just enough ridicule of like, hey, loser kid with the bug shirt, you know that kind of thing. <laughs> Enough of that, and then you're like, I can't wear this anymore. When they started calling you Bug BSB, you knew it was time to change something. Oh, BSB's bug shirt, here, Bug Shirt Boy. Yeah, <laughs> Bug Shirt Boy in the house. Yeah, Bug Shirt at avoid at all costs. Dude, um, bug Shirt. Okay, uh, I still have this T-shirt. I've got a um. Mastodon Crack the Sky tour shirt. Oh, yeah. Which I really, really it. like. Yeah. I haven't worn I've retired it from wearing it because I, re- I just love it. And it was such a fun mm-hmm. show. And um, one of my best friends took me for my birthday to go see the show. It's awesome. Cool. Um, and then uh, I've got a bunch of Filson and stuff. It's all like the best. Like, Ooh, but yeah, I specifically right. wear like that blue Filson jacket, which I've had now for probably like five yeah. years. You left your other Filson jacket here. Yeah, well, no, I left my. Uh, I could. I might have left the green one, but I for sure left my Uniqlo, uh, the, like, like trench jacket. The green. I think the green jacket is here, but maybe that's maybe. Yeah, it's a know. long jacket. The one we I need left. to get yeah. into this. We really need to solve this right now. Well, I'll put that one on my list. That Uniqlo uh, long jacket is awesome. I love that. That's like pretty recent that I got, um, but that thing is like so cool, and it makes mm. me look like uh, Silent Bob. Is, uh, <laughs> it does kind of, but yeah, but like a really like cool and self assured Silent Bob. I do think Silent Bob is low key kind of in like style wise. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that we're so far removed from all the trench coat type killing stuff, it's like it, the trench coat can come yeah, back. Yeah, it it's not like it's a Japanese design. It's not really like super trench coaty, but yeah. I really like that jacket. It's so comfortable, and it like I can wear it in the summer and I can wear it in the winter, and it does works no matter what. Um, I also have. I don't know how many I've said. I think I've said them. You all got one much. more. I have. You guys have probably seen me wear this. I have this Woolrich green and blue flannel that's like got a zillion holes in it because I've been that the one you left in like, my house for like eight months. Yeah, yeah. Mm, I've had that for like ten yeah. years. I love that thing. 
That's yeah. another like Woolrich stuff. Like if you buy it, it'll just last forever. And ever. I almost forgot to mention to you for so long that I had it because I was like, this can't be important. It looks like you know two steps away, one step away from being a, something you clean your guitar with at the end of a show. Yeah, um, but that's often the best stuff. Yeah, I mean, if I if it went away, I wouldn't be super bummed, but because I just like I'm not super attached to any of that stuff. But you know, I like it. It's comfortable. It's got a lot of holes in it. I want to got a story now, man. It's got a story. Look like a professor. Yeah. <laughs> well. I say we put all all these clothes and uh, ooh, sounds sweaty. Take Let's a picture, but only these clothes. And now I'm regretting. Well, at least I got pants on there. I was thinking, yeah, for Jeremiah a is basically he's got, fully he's nude no except pants. for a belt. <laughs> he's got a belt and a hat on, and some sambas shoes, <laughs> couple hats, <laughs> one artfully placed hat. Yeah, I hope the belt's wide. I don't remember how, yeah. how wide the belt buckle is, but you're gonna wish you mentioned one. I don't have a good segue for this, but uh, you know who else is a cool guy? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I wasn't there. Yeah, Nate wasn't wasn't in on this one. Yeah, I was I think, in route. Yeah, which is a shame. I think you would have enjoyed this conversation. Um, I certainly did. Super I don't cool. doubt it. I'm going to listen to it, and then I'll, I'll report back and say, nope, I wouldn't have enjoyed it. Not that. You know, like, okay funny is like super fun for a while but like i just really get into the ones where like there's more than just funniness happening and we like really got into it It it's cool he's a smart dude with some interesting with a lot on his mind so we had jay on the podcast jay what's his last name maya jay pepito jay pepito wonderful dude from a couple of super successful hardcore bands uh, currently in the band End, right? Right. Yeah, they're getting a lot of uh, attention right now, and I think rightfully so. Cool, interesting music. A lot of... Like, Definitely go check out the yeah, album a lot of covers. Really I think their album covers are super cool. Some of my favorite right now. End is kind of like a hardcore like, like Hall of Fame band. Um, mm-hmm, yeah. And before that, he was, in, um, he was in a band called Reign Supreme, which is right. also a pretty successful hardcore band. So... But and Jay, he's been super in like thoughtful. Fifty guy. bands, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, he's Which in Shy Hulud too. Come on yeah, now. We, we get into that. I mean, that that's like bit. there's your credit. But anyway, we had a great conversation with Jay, so hopefully you'll enjoy it. Bingo. Just a quick heads up that this week has a lot of what some people would call strong language. Uh, it was just Jay sharing uh, his passion and uh, and thoughts with us. Um, but if that's the kind of thing that offends you, just wanted to give you a heads up. But I hope you'll stick around and hear what he has to say. It's a really great interview. Thanks. What drew you to Philly? It was just like the closest big city to go to? or No, I grew up outside of New York. Um, I had like a weird, rough start to adulthood. And that's what ended me up in Philly. It was, gotcha. it wasn't. It wasn't some glamorous paradise I wanted to end up. It was a cheap place to live, and I had a lot of friends here, and they wanted to start a band, and I just wanted somewhere that I could live for cheap and just go on tour. So Philly made sense. Yeah. So was was that Rain Supreme? Was that when you started Rain Supreme? Oh no, no, this was like years ago. I, I moved so when I was so I graduated high school early. I was like seventeen because I like I skipped a few grades when I was a kid, and um, when I graduated high school, I didn't want to go to college, but my parents kind of pushed me into it. So I went to college, but I dropped out after a year and I joined the Marines. And then in less than a year, 
I got kicked out of the Marines because I'm just Whoa. an abuser of authority. I question everybody. I just, I wasn't cut out for it. And I was really immature and kind of a jerk, you know? Mm-hmm. So I got kicked out. And as soon as I got kicked out, I tried to go back to college. I just, it wasn't for me. So I dropped out, broke my family's heart, and I moved to Philly and with some, some homies. And I, I lived in a house called Fun Rama. And this was like 2001 or two. And it was actually a venue. Like uh, Terror played their first Philly show in our basement. Converge would like play in the basement and I'd be like upstairs trying to like kiss girls and stuff. It was- <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Wait, you, you, Jeremiah, you should, uh, he has language for that. He went to college for three years and then he, he says he finished. He'll say yeah. that he finished his, his finished. time. Yeah. I let them know uh, when I was done. He, it was on I his terms. For them to let me know. Well, you know, you got to do it on your terms, man. I, 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 finish. I have a master's degree now, but I, you know, it oh, took me a long time. What did you get your degree degrees in, Jay? So my undergrad degree is from Temple. Uh, so I, I majored in physiology. I, I went the pre-med route. So I took all the sciences and I minored in philosophy and I did a bunch of other academic stuff. And then uh, my master's degree is from the University of Pennsylvania, not Penn State. And I <laughs> studied like how, how to run a nonprofit. So I didn't get an MBA. I got an MS and it's basically like how to, how to, how to basically make the world better. So like it was, it was a degree for people who wanted to start social justice organizations, activist uh, groups or nonprofits. Mm-hmm. And I was really interested in social entrepreneurship as an alternative to traditional sort of capitalist enterprises. And mm-hmm. I studied that. I went to Africa and Costa Rica and did some work there for a while. So I did some cool stuff with that. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I got a master's too, but I, I got mine in philosophy of religion and, and that was an interesting ride as well. Well, I'm um, but, so I took some of that stuff and honestly learning, learning about, first of all, like the religions of the world, how they come together, where they differ, and then how philosophy can be used as a tool for like interpreting yourself and ideas relative to others and like the subtleties of really complex things. I don't know. That sounds like a pretty interesting, awesome degree to me. So it, it was useful. I was honestly spending more time booking shows and touring every weekend i don't in retrospect i don't know how i uh how i finished but uh but i did and i'm glad for it because all that's just stuff you learn from right about yourself but so so you were in that because like so obviously you're really well known for being in reign supreme and being an end which congratulations on both both sick projects uh but what where in the line was 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 rain supreme the first band of note we would have heard of like no so when i was younger and i first moved to philly i played in a band with some friends called no rights and it was like a small hardcore band but after six months to a year something like that we became blacklisted so i was the first guitarist of blacklisted so i played on the demo the first ep and then the split we did with first blood which just got re-released as an ep death wish just re-released it so that was probably the of note that I was in. And then I got kicked out of Blacklisted in 2003 or four. Uh, we'd done a lot of touring and there were a lot of like personal factors involved, but me and the singer had started to, we just didn't get along anymore. Um, and so unceremoniously, I was told that the band wouldn't continue with me in it. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm out. So for about a year or two, I just kind of worked and hung out. And then uh, I started Rain Supreme in 2004 five maybe and then we were, did our demo in 2006 and then did that until about 2013 we put out our last record and then end started in 2015 but we didn't put a record out i think until 16 or 17 something like that so 
on both fronts, I have to say both extremely sick band names. And that's really <laughs> hard to do. Like when you thought of the b- band name Reign Supreme, did you just like feel like you won the lot? I mean, that's such a sick band name. How did nobody use it before? I, I did feel like that, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> that's the most hardcore band I've ever heard of. <laughs> so originally the, the project was called Death Sentence. And um, that was pretty Which is cool. Yeah. But there was another right. band from Canada called Death Sentence. And I guess I just got the vibe. Like, I, I think that it was got. Okay. So truthfully, if there was some band that I didn't care about, I'd be like, yeah, come see me. It's my band now. But <laughs> I, for whatever reason, I felt like it was guys that I, I kind of respected or something. So I was like, we'll just come up with a new name. So it was like probably like a few months. And then one day it just kind of clicked. And a lot of people are like, did it come from the, uh, the Marauder song where he's like, engaged in war object to reign supreme but it wasn't from that it just i think it came to me from like a rap song or something i forget what (laughs) and then i was like yo reign supreme we're like a mad ball kind of bouncy hardcore band that's that's kind of perfect oh yeah you know yeah it i mean it's actually like you know biblical language in the sense of like uh, and i and i mean that twice like it's epic but it's also like literally words that are in the Bible. But it just, at the moment I heard the band name, I was like, that is the most hardcore name I've ever heard. And it's we actually, because we, we had a lot of, I think uh, also I am now the singer of Shy Halud, side note, but a funny little. Uh, <laughs> That's sick. Whoa, so you're going to side note that? That's a, <laughs> Shy Halud is sick, man. Shy Halud is sick. They're like one of my favorite bands growing up and the band's, Sorry if you see this, Matt. The band is a little bit of a joke now, and we're aware of that. It is what it is. But I love those songs, and I get to play them for people sometimes. So it's like a very part-time thing. We're going to do, yeah. we're gonna do uh, Furnace Fest and a few other things here or there. But anyways, I think Rain and Halud both had this thing where Christian hardcore people were like, are, are they down? Do they know? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like weird to us because we were like, I mean, Reign Supreme decidedly was not a Christian band, even though we toured sure, sure. every weekend that we could. We just, I've always been the kind of guy where like, I, I don't think that someone's personal beliefs or, or their ethics system or their spirituality really says anything about them. And I prefer to get to know them. So we, we were down to play with whoever, like I sang on a For Today record. None of that ever mattered to me. Uh, and Halud had that same thing. I think they did have a Christian hardcore guy in the band from maybe Strong Arm or something at one point. Mm-hmm. So there's always been that like weird thing where people are like, did they, are they, <laughs> they, you know, that was I, the funniest part about the whole scene for a long time was like, especially coming like from the, that kind of Christian world, it was always so big. Like, are they a Christian band or not? Yeah. And like, if you're not in that, you just don't care. Well, I'll and tell you in that it's like, a, it's a big like thing so important that really went poorly actually. Um, so we were decidedly not a Christian band. We weren't anti-religion sure. in any sense, but none of us sure. are practicing. I was raised Catholic, but I really don't think about it too much. But um, so we put out testing the limits of infinite on Death Wish, right? And I'm I'm insanely over the top about controlling every piece of that, like the band. Like I want to know every what every part of the layout looks like. I triple check everything. Like I'm just really I'm really hard to work with. But um, okay. So Noted. at the last minute, I didn't even know this happened until we got the CDs. But Jake uh, had he had edited the artwork for the CD, and it was a crown with a cross in it. 
So when that came out, I was like, dude, now all these <laughs> kids who already maybe thought that we were down are definitely going to think we're down. And I'm going to have to be the guy that explains, <laughs> like, no, I respect who you are and where you're coming from, but that ain't me. But thank yeah. And it was, it, it was, that was, that was probably the end of us working with Deathwish right there. That but, was, but you know what? But you know what, Jay? You could have gotten a lot of free Chick Fil A out of it, which you would have found a way to work with. You, you know, know, I didn't think of that. At the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's it's funny Just go when we show um, them your CD, mm, and they yeah, across the crown like, "Hey, free meal." I might do that well, now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. When um, when we first started as a band years and years ago, uh, we got this really interesting. I think it was a MySpace message, like two years. Yeah. At this point, we released a record. We had announced we were going to sign. I think, um, and. And the, it was a band from South Africa. And they were like, hi, good to meet you. We are also in a band and we are deciding to also name it My Epic. But we're going to do it as one word. Have a good day. And it was like, okay, <laughs> so you're not, you're not asking us if it's okay. And you're not telling us to shove it, which if you were, then why would you reach out at all? Yeah. You're not telling us you're suing us. You're just letting us know that you're going to do what you want. <laughs> <laughs> and there's nothing you can do about it. But what's funny now is that, at least for a long time, they had one record. I think it had one minor hit, South African. It was like a butt rock kind of radio band cool. uh, in South Africa. <laughs> yeah, who cares? But they they had one record. But every iTunes review was, this is not my epic. This is not my... It was, it was our fans who bought it and didn't realize it was not us. Or oh. there was like one that was like, I don't like this nearly as much as the rest of their catalog, but I guess it's okay. Uh, well, I guess that's... It was just, that's a little bit of the issue that end is having because like our name is capital E N D, but like mm -hmm. the word end is so ubiquitous. You can't really right. like you type in end merch and luckily now our stuff comes up, but for a long mm -hmm. time people were like, I, I can't find your band anywhere. Right. Um, so I guess we've gotten out of that, but like that confusion about it. I mean, what band name isn't taken at this point, you know, it, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. like the biggest bands in hardcore have the stupidest names. Now they just, it's like, that's all that's left, you know. Give us some examples, Jay. Call them out. Tell us right now which yeah. ones are really dumb. <laughs> uh, well, you I, don't have to. You don't have to. <laughs> you know what? I'm not going. Yeah, okay, that's good. So, uh, I, yeah. Before we get off that too much, because you did talk about artwork and stuff, I gotta say, uh, so hardcore's just not totally my thing, um, but the covers for your records are sick. For end. Yeah. Um. I, I kept seeing like those pop up and I was like, I, I wanted to check it out just because of the, the cover. Um, is this, is that one of you guys, one of your, who does the, who does that art? So I actually forget the guy's name, but, um, well actually there, I think it's two different guys. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty okay. sure that the first, the first artwork and the second artwork are two different people. I'm not interesting. Possible. Okay. Cause but they I'm do look, they have like a similar vibe. Well, that's, yeah, that's what we're going for. We're going for like a sort of like a, a, a continuity, but mm. a little bit of a different kind of feel per album. Cause like the yeah. first record is like pretty unapologetically a mixture of like DB crusty stuff, metalcore kind of nineties stuff and just like insane breakdown kind right. of stuff. And then the second one is a lot more grindy. So like, as the band kind of changes and we do some different stuff and we try to incorporate different elements, uh, like the artwork will change, but I think generally speaking, it's going to always be that illustrated kind of yeah. like 
like we want the imagery you want we want you to look at it and feel like you just got punched you know oh, what I mean? it's yeah ex- yeah it's sick. <laughs> and honestly everything i keep hearing about it people are digging it so it's going you guys yeah we I, I gotta tell you it was a it was a bummer on two fronts one was we dropped the record during covid which mm-hmm. and then our record as you guys know a record release like that that takes months to plan and coordinate there's so much work that goes into it it happened like three days after george george floyd died so oh the world was on so you're, fire. yeah and you're trying to announce did you push it back yeah. No, we didn't push back. We just, yeah. we really, I mean, it's just tough. It's hard. It's at that point, you can't really, the train's it's too late almost. Too late. So as, as a group, we were just like, look, like the group text was just basically like, we all know that this sucks. Like yeah. whatever. So we were just like, how can we be a set? Cause basically like, yeah, we have a record coming out, but obviously now there are way more important things happening in the world than our record. So that was the language we used. We were just like, yeah. look, here's our record. We want you to know that it's out. Now go keep fighting. Like, like take this and let it fuel you, but don't let it distract from anything. And that was important to us because I'm not going to blow up anybody in the band spot, but every person in our band is like active in that stuff. Like we all generally like genuinely do care about leaving a better world for the next generation in whatever iteration that looks like. So that was an important moment for us. We were all like, yo, we can't, we can't make splinters the thing that trends this week. We need to keep talking about justice in, right. in, America, in the world right it I, just I, might uh, be the soundtrack that some people needed for it man oh hopefully oh you know there was some kids with that in their in their earphones like going to <laughs> going to protest man like they're trying to get psyched up like that they're probably the kids picking up bricks honestly uh i hope yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's it's um i remember hearing uh in college like uh i think the ultimate example of this that i can think of is when Jimmy Eat World was going to release Bleed American, the release date was September 11th, which oh. is. Oof. Yeah. Rough. Can you imagine? <laughs> and and that album like was their biggest, like biggest album. It like did so well, it had a bunch of it had a bunch of huge hits on it. You know, yeah. I, I think it should have had more hits, but it was uh, I don't remember what they did. I think I, I remember they like did something to change the packaging. Maybe they just kind of obscured the title so that it just looked like a self-titled, even though it wasn't. But yeah, at that point it was like a, we, we had another friend, uh, used to play in a, uh, uh, metalcore band at a, do you ever, ever heard a band called glass casket? They used to play in, yeah. um, North Carolina. Yeah. Um, I think some of the guys are in BT bam now, but, uh, uh, our friend Sid was in that band and, um, like, uh, his, his other band got a record done. It was all packaged. It was like, they got it. It was going to be in stores the next day and they put it in to check just the pressing and track. And they're like, they were like kind of like a pop rock. It was like his pop rock side band. And track seven was just a ska song from a ska band. <laughs> like just and like all the records were pressed that way. Just a ska song. And oh, like, God. It, it, like, what, what are you going to do? You know, like it just, oh, this Man, this stuff happens. Like, yeah. end releasing a really heavy, over the top record that is pretty much just about how much the paradox of like hating yourself, but also like wanting to keep going, but also like giving up, but also not. Mm-hmm. Th- that makes sense in our time. I can't imagine releasing a record called Bleed American on 9 <laughs> 11. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. 
That's cla- and and they still somehow were a massive success. So good, good on them for the music being good enough to to make it through. So like when end so Reign Supreme ended, you guys just kind of called it a day. Like and and you were kind of just like, how did that come to a close? So and it didn't really. So we played our last show. I forget the date, but it was like March 2015 in Germany. Um, we had put out Sky Burial, which uh, no one liked, but. I, realistically <laughs> people in bands are always like yo that's my favorite like todd from nails hit me up the week it came out and was like yo people aren't gonna like this record but it's the best thing you've ever <laughs> what does that do to you we, yeah so like that that was sick to get you know I, I know that like even now like bands like kubla khan who i'm really good friends with you know they're like yo sky burial is like all we listen to like what so like all these bands i know like the record but as far as reign supreme's audience I just don't think it resonated. I think we were too early with it. Like had that come out now in the, in the world of, I don't know, counterparts, it might make a little more sense. But back then it just didn't. And I listen to it now and I still think it's a really good record. It's my favorite record of ours, but it didn't, it just didn't do that well. And yeah, I think after that combined with all the stuff I had going on in my personal life with combined with my own fledgling mental health combined with, years of going on tour and never really like making it. It just, it just, I just didn't want to keep going. And it just, it also felt, I'll tell you the big thing was this. I, my therapist calls this a superpower. I am insane about truth. Like I cannot abide someone lying next to me or someone like (laughs) half truthing around me. Like I am that guy that will be like very gently, like actually this, or I don't agree with your perspective or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't the same person that I was in 2015 that I was in 2006 when I wrote a lot of those songs. And it got to a point where I was screaming all these lyrics that I just didn't identify with anymore. And when I'd see these like teenagers screaming the back at me, I Mm. felt really kind of Holden Caulfield phony. Like I just felt, I just felt silly. It wasn't me anymore. Um, So I I basically called everyone in the band and was just like, yeah, I don't want to do it anymore. It was kind of my band. I don't want to do it. Um, but you know, truthfully, I mean, in a post COVID world, who knows what would happen, but I have been talking about a few of my friends that I play music with now in other bands and stuff like that. And we've been talking about maybe, I don't know, maybe doing a record. I had two more LPs written for Rain Supreme that never got tracked. And then, um, maybe doing some shows with a different like lineup of guys, because all the guys in Rain Supreme now have kind of moved on from touring and playing music. Uh, we're all still good friends. We just... You know, like they have like kids, the one dude's doing a PhD. It's just, I probably want to do it with like my friends that I'm actively playing with now. So I, I don't know. I, I'd like to say that it's done. I would love for us to come back and play some stuff. I just, some part of me thinks that not that many people would care. And I wouldn't want to like get the band back together to like close <laughs> and have like 20 kids come and me feel like a jackass. That's my big like concern, I guess. But Does I am. work at uh, Furnace Fest? Uh, yeah, I mean, if they asked us to play, I'd probably make a phone call or two, but, mm-hmm. um, I don't know to, to be determined. It's not mm-hmm. rain Supreme is always my outlet for better, or for worse. If you really love the band, then that is like you personally loving my music that I write, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I would only do it if I felt like it was reflective of who I am. Not uh, sure. so maybe, maybe we would do some stuff again. I don't know. I'd have to see how it feels and it, well, i wouldn't do it if it didn't feel like it was worth it like if i felt like people mm-hmm. didn't care i wouldn't do it just because mm-hmm. i'd be like 
I would want it to be special. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then how did end, end come together? Because I know that Will's a guy who's obviously writing a ton of music all the time and making a lot of music. It's not like he was sitting around going, we got to start a band. <laughs> so at one point, Will... So Will was Rain, Will was Rain Supreme's first record. Rain Supreme was Will's first record. So American Violence oh, wow. was like a real record that Will did. Um, so he and I have had a really close friendship ever since. That was like 2006, mm-hmm. I think, maybe 2008. I don't remember. 2007, something like that. Uh, and in that time, he went on to work with Counterparts. He did some stuff with Dillinger. Uh, or actually, our first drummer was in Structure, so he did some stuff with them. And he did a Misery Signals record with, uh, when Greg was in the band. So oh, cool. we were talking about doing something kind of DBD, kind of crusty, kind of grindy, kind of metal quarry. And, uh, you know, Will and I had always collaborated well, and he, he's, he's hard to work with, and so am I, but we kind of click. Like, we respect each other's, like, psychosis a little bit. Um, <laughs> one day I was sitting, <laughs> I was sitting in a med school class in graduate school at the University of Pennsylvania, and I got a text message from Will, and I was like, this is boring. I'm going to go check out what this is. And it was just him playing a riff. And he was like, yo, you want to do this band? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> in. like my life sucks. Like, why not? Let's do this. So uh, he ended up just basically being like, yeah, I want Brendan to sing. He's got like the sickest voice. I want me and Greg to play guitar. I want you to play bass and also do some screaming because you're like a screamer. And then like Andrew from Structures is going to play drums. He's like a great drummer. So that was it. We we met up that summer and we tracked uh, for the Unforgiving Arms of God. We like wrote it and tracked it like at the same time. We'd all that's awesome. Before, yeah. I mean, like we some so, of us had known each other, but we as a band had never all hung out. We didn't. So did you guys together. write it as a unit, or was it like stuff that he had that had been written mostly? We don't. Already? We I guess we write as a unit a little bit. I don't write anything. I basically show up and I I play whatever they tell me to play, and I take my shirt okay. off and I scream. But <laughs> yeah. other guys, like Billy, obviously from Dillinger, like is our drummer now. And he definitely helps them write a little bit because he's just one of the best metal drummers. And then him yeah. and Greg basically come up with ideas. And then Brendan does most of the vocal kind of stuff. But Will, Will is like a producer. So he, he puts it all together. Kind of yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, um, we have uh, that four today connection in common. We know Ryan literally really well, yeah. who I know works with Will a ton now. Um, I love so. Yeah, he's a, he's a sweetheart. He's uh, it's it's nice to see him finally getting some sleep these days. Because for wow. his entire time in Florida Day, he was just exhausted every time we saw him. It looked like he wanted to kill himself. Um, so yeah, I got the he, price of making it. Rain Supreme did a little like we played before today once or twice, and I always thought they were cool guys. But I did get the sense from him that he was like run ragged. I got the sense from hanging out with that for, with them that they were not a band that functioned well. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> They're like big, but everyone in the band is kind of like, I don't want to set up my, my kit today. I just want to die. <laughs> I felt yeah. like I from them, and I was like, something's up here, but you guys do your thing, like, you know, whatever. Well, they're not together, so that says something. But we, we actually did their uh, we did their final. They asked us. They took us out on their final tour, which was super fun and, and was a really big, you know, fun tour. Well, there you um, go. But, but yeah, and, and the other connection is you just mentioned Shai Hulud. Uh, our, I think you'll be the episode after we did with Steve Kleisath, who was the drummer for Strongarm and Shy who lived for a while and for this seems forever. Oh, cool. um, who like who like he has a bunch of video game records. Like he's like a serious video game. Like yeah, he's like got like a bunch of records. But which brings us to the topic at hand, which is like you're this guy with this extremely like 
patchwork quilty interesting life um and 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 so i asked jeremiah i was like well we always we have a habit where we write to show you what where where our knowledge base is but also as a way to honor you as our guest we have each written a haiku uh about your other thing that you do really well um (laughs) and and you have to rate them and give us feedback. But Jeremiah said that told me because I'm kind of coming in blind. I knew who End was. I had heard of Reign Supreme. Um, I'm a little. I'm a little more of a hardcore guy than him. We both kind of grew up in in, in punk rock, sure. um, and so that obviously connects into hardcore a lot. And I got like I loved that uh, the second Shiho Lid record. And actually, uh, Misanthropy Pure was a really cool record too. Um, yeah. Really liked that band a lot. Um, but, uh, but we each wrote a haiku, I think, because you're also like a really gifted barber, correct? I wouldn't say I'm a gifted barber. I'd say, (laughs) yeah, that's what I do for a living. Okay. Well, we both wrote a haiku on, on your barber, barbarianism. That's the right word, right? Barbarism. Um, Barbarism. (laughs) Um, Jeremiah, do you want to go first? Sure, I can. For, first, I'd just like to note that like you just got your hair done in a certain way, didn't you? Who, me? No, Jay did. Oh, yeah. Dude. I got a tattoo on my head. Dude, so. check that out, Aaron. Whoa! I saw that Instagram post. I was like, dang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I can't quite see what it is. Is that a crown of thorns because you're so Christian? I can't, I can't quite see it. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's a crown of thorns with a Jesus portrait, and he has a third eye, and he's crying. Uh, is that a yarmulke? Did you just get a yarmulke? I don't like a yarmulke. Yeah. <laughs> no. What? No. What is it? I can't quite see in the lighting, and I'm interested. No, it's it's a crown of thorns with Jesus crying in the middle. With oh, the, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I thought that was a great joke, but it's it's even cooler <laughs> that it's real. <laughs> yeah. It's is that a Chick Fil A? Well, I had I had like ultra ultra like atheist liberal like activist people being like why did you get that and i was just like because i got a tattoo who cares it's a- <laughs> like, add it what? to the list for people yeah. who can't see jay he's got a couple all over. <laughs> not a big deal you know like that. yeah <laughs> um yeah that's cool all right that's jeremiah sick. you're up. sick all right we'll, we'll get the we haiku let's do it here haiku music is rolling all right <laughs> just earned my white smock now phone down sit up and stay still you're gonna look sick (laughs) wow dude all right that's (laughs) dude you got big shoes to fill after that one that's that's (laughs) i don't i can't beat that i can't beat that (laughs) to be honest i need to i need to admit i added i accidentally added an extra word that was not in my haiku that put my second line to to eight well, there's no and oh, that, that was bro, supposed to be rules. in there, so I apologize. Disqualified. I went automatically. Yeah, you got rules. You got to follow. I know it's not in the haiku. I for some reason I said it when I was reading it. I don't know why. That's your does first. That, does, does, you got to follow the rules. The rules. <laughs> Which your haiku was about the rules, right? Your phone's got to go down. Like, did that That's resonate? Right. I mean, it doesn't. I don't know. Okay, so I've been cutting hair for like three-ish years, and. For whatever reason, guys don't really whip out their phone with me, but I see it with other people a lot. I I don't know. I mm-hmm. I was I was apprenticed really well, and like my my mentor, my tour mentor, he would he basically kind of taught me how to coach, sort of, such that you control the entire interaction. So I think that I just kind of aggressively set this like scary uncle vibe with these guys. <laughs> and they kind of sit there like, 
the whole time. <laughs> it, it makes my life a lot easier, certainly. Dude, I, well, I have this question before I give mine. Jeremiah, have you ever been to a barber? Okay, I have. <laughs> I have one experience. Um, I Well, I should be fair. I don't think you should call this person a barber. Um, it's somebody... It, like the hair cuttery or whatever, you know, like one of these generic spots are. Yeah. Um, Aaron, I went with you, um, the one time in my life in college, you were like, Hey, I'm going to get my hair cut. And I was like, Oh, I guess I got to do that too. So I went, my mom had cut my hair my whole life. I didn't know anything about this experience. So I went and got a haircut and I was like, $12. You gotta be kidding me. I just paid $12 for this. Didn't tip because I had no clue that that's what you're supposed to do at a hair. Salon. Oh, bad move! I was that guy. Yeah, I didn't realize I didn't learn that until later. Um, yeah. And then I started cutting my own hair for the rest of my life. <laughs> hey man, whatever works for you. You know, I think like from my perspective, it's not for everybody. You know, and it's silly to think that. Like, I'm not one of these guys that's like, oh, you need a haircut. Like, who am I to judge, man? Like, let the man. Let <laughs> yeah. Well, like, yeah, I, I can I go either say, way because I grew up, I grew up in the grunge era, so oh, yeah. I can really respect. I can grow up, I can respect like the kind of homeless guy, like vibe, which well, I'm kind of like rocking more now, and because I just for COVID, I haven't gone in to get one yet, and I'm really vibe. getting shaggy. Yeah, what do you say? I said it's a vibe, man, and like honestly, yeah. a, a lot of guys, because I, you know, I'm cutting hair, my shop is open again. Um, oh, sick. We. A lot of guys are like they they come in. Are you ready? They they go. Okay, so so we don't know. Do what do we want to do with the hair, man? Uh, you know, I uh I kind of like it a little longer. I, I don't know. I just like cleaned it up a little. <laughs> I just cleaned it up a little. <laughs> Last month has been that. But here's the thing. That's my favorite haircut to do. Like I like it when there's like long flowing hair, and I just do a really yeah. tight skin taper like right around the bottom. That's like my favorite thing. Yeah. To do. So in general, my opinion about hair is I want something that I feel comfortable with. And I had long hair for a long time. Uh, but nowadays, it's just kind of like uh, my wife's cool and she has good taste and she's going to look at my head more than I am. So if she was like, if she showed me a picture and was like, you should get that, I'd be like, okay, as long as it's not going to bother me, like she wouldn't give me anything dumb. But I, I, for a while, I had a really sick barber in the last place I lived in Virginia. We both live in Louisville, Kentucky now, but, um, sure. and and I had a sick barber, so I'd go in really often and I'd keep it like really, really, really well done. And then we moved here and I haven't found anyone. So I asked a guy on my street, like, who would he recommend it? And he recommended a shop just up the street. So I went in and immediately realized I was the only white person in the barber shop, uh, yes. which, which I'm down. I'm down. Like, let's do this. I'm, I'm here. Let me feel what it's like to be a minority. That's a valuable experience for me to have. And sure. everybody was super cool. And our neighborhood is actually, um, is actually very diverse. It's like a, one of the most diverse neighborhoods they, they say in the country. Um, and so I, yeah, which is cool. We live just on the West side of downtown, which is like the more impoverished part of, of Louisville. Um, I think they're used to cutting a lot of white guys hair, but they're all guys who don't, who still get like ethnically African American style haircuts. Like they're getting lots of like things. <clears throat> so when I went in I was like, Oh, I kind of like, like it really long on the top and super short on the sides and like, like do a hard part or whatever. I went two or three times, and his this guy's name is Cleve. He was cool. We were vibing. We were having good conversations. And the third time, he's got to, he just was like, man, I got to be real. I don't really know how to cut a white guy's hair like yours. And uh, he's like – and I was like, he that's cool, you? man. Like, <laughs> no, he didn't. 
But the other thing was, there's definitely there's a color line in barbering, a hundred percent. And I wrestle with it personally. My shop does too. I'll say this: every guy that I work with, we're super woke about that. Like we, you know, we cut all kinds of folks, um, trans folks. Uh, you know, people of all kinds of sort of sexual preferences or whatever you want to call it, um, races, ethnicities. But the reality even is, even a republic, even a Republican, every now and then. You know what? I'll say this, dude. <laughs> I cut a guy's hair, and he's talking about how much he likes Donald Trump. And I was like, bro, we can have this conversation. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a hater, dude. I mean, listen, I have my politics, right? And mm-hmm. I don't necessarily want to like really engage with someone on that. But I don't hate you because you see the world differently. You have a unique set of experiences and so do I, and they've led us to different conclusions. That's okay. I don't think that you can support Donald Trump without being a racist straight up. So that's a problem for me. But I have to call on myself to be a better person than just saying, well, you like Donald Trump, I can't cut your hair. Like, we don't get better that way. America doesn't get fixed. It gets fixed when people like me are willing to say like, all right, man, like, well, why do you think that? And then I can yeah, say, and, all right, well, I think that because of this. And then we yeah, can right. think about it. And, you know, I mean, my mom. Very like, few people ever. My mom's like a died in the war Republican. She has been her whole life. But after George Floyd died, she was like, yeah, we got to defund the police. And I was like, yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, slow, slow down, mom. Let's, let's I was like, get some right, Chick-fil-A yeah. and talk about it. Yeah, hold on. I gotta, you know. Yeah, I mean, em- empathy and dialogue is is always, I mean, I think very few people have ever changed because they were told they were stupid. Um, yeah. it's just doesn't put you in a posture for, for growth. Um, but, uh, I, anyway, I, I kept going there for a while and, but it, you couldn't do reservations because they want you to come hang out. And, uh, and I don't usually have two hours, even though I like, liked the vibe. Um, I did have a guy that cut my hair a few times in Virginia and he was, I think he was trying to do the thing that you do where you like coach him through and you, but instead it was just like sitting in someone's chair who's having a mental breakdown and is very angry <laughs> and he would just... He would just like gripe the whole time and he was so slow. And I got him the first time on accident. I went in because my friend said it was a really sick, it was called the stash shop. It was a like they were legit barbershop. And yeah. they like asked for Lindsay. She runs the spot. She does it. It's her, she's like a tattooed up. She's really cool. Yeah. She was busy. So I got this other guy. Not a good experience. But then every time I come in, guy. he'd be like, Every time I go in, he'd be like, "This is my guy," and I was like, "Oh, dang, I couldn't." Get, I couldn't just get, like, yeah, anyway, that, that's a real thing, man. Like, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll pontificate a little here, but I, I just part of. First of all, we only work on reservations. We don't do any walk-ins, and that's by design. I want you to meet the minimum threshold as a human being that you can log on to an app and book yourself an appointment and show up <laughs> on time. Otherwise, you're not worth my time. I am busy, so I don't want to <laughs> yeah. wait around for some guy that like can't do that. We do want you to hang out, not during COVID, obviously. Yeah. We do want you to hang out, but like that's important. And I'll also say this. There's a real connection sometimes that happens between me and guys in my chair, right? Like a lot of these guys are like friends now, and that's yeah, really yeah. true. But they're still in a – like they're not coming to me necessarily to hear about my breakup or like a, you know, a debt problem I have. Like part of the experience should be customer-centric and you should be thinking like, hey, this guy's in my chair. He's probably got a busy, hectic life and like a demanding lifestyle. 
I'm going to, I'm going to pamper this guy a little bit. I'm going to talk to him. Like he's my brother. We're going to chill a little bit. I'm going to give him a dope haircut, slap him on the neck with some aftershave and get him out of here. You know, <laughs> that's the experience that people want. They don't like, I think a lot of kind of crappy barbers think that they're bonding by doing that stuff. But I want you to leave feeling like you got something for your money and like you had a good vibe and everyone there was cool. I don't want you yeah. thinking, yeah, Damn, Jay's really going through it. I'll give him an extra. <laughs> well, and, and, and to be clear, to be clear, I'm totally down with like, I'm the first person who like wants to hear what you're going through. That It was a one-way conversation where he was well, that, yeah, berating that. the world to me. And yeah. it was just like, oh, this is not a conversation. Anytime mm-hmm. I would add anything, I would be like, oh, he's waiting for me to finish. So you can tell me about something else he's mad about. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm, I'm stalling because I know I'm going to lose. And I have a really good question. But let me get my haiku out of the way so you can <laughs> declare him the winner. So what I did for mine was I just wrote a haiku so that you know what I want when I come get a haircut from you, Jay. Um, <laughs> longish on the top. Two faded down to a one. Shave no. Hot towel yes. Okay, you lose because if you come to me for a haircut, you're getting shaved. <laughs> oh, okay, that's part yeah. of it, guaranteed. So that was my, my my next question was going to be: tell us what it takes to be a great client. Like you're a barber, you're in that world. Like what? Yeah, what makes it good? Like what? How can we have a good experience? No one's ever asked me that before, so I have to think about it. But what strikes me? Well, you just told me one: you're you're going to shave my beard, which is big. <laughs> oh. No, I mean, I'll shave the back of your neck. You want to keep your beard, keep your beard. That's up to you. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. Sorry, my, my is, haiku is was this, lacking. Is this required, the under the neck? Is that a required? No, I mean, you should clean it up so you're not what we call a neck beard, but that's on you. you know? Yeah. <laughs> I will, but it's your call. No, I'm, I'm down for that, but sometimes they want to, like, shape my beard up, and I'm like, no, I don't. I don't. I'm, I don't need that. I don't. Yeah, I'm down for everything else. Yeah, trim that up, trim around, trim all that up. Yeah, that's. Cool. I think I think the, the 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 biggest thing for me, I'm going to say three things. One of them is controversial. The first two aren't. The first one is know what you want. The most annoying thing in the world is when someone's like, I don't know. I was kind of thinking like I'd push it this way or that way, and I have a cowlick here, and I want a high end type but no skin. Yo, you don't know what you want. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but just say like I don't really know. I was thinking something like this picture, or I like right. the way this guy looks. That's fine. But what like, what if I say I want to look like Brad Pitt? Yo, dude, everyone says like I want the Brad Pitt from Fury. Yo, guess what, dude? You're like 40 and you work in IT. You look like. <laughs> <laughs> and and by the way, that's a historically inaccurate haircut. Guys didn't have haircuts like that. Yeah, back. I figured. Um, like if you watch Band of Brothers. Those are the haircuts those guys had. But anyways, know what you want. You don't have to know the numbers. You don't have to know any of that because realistically, I'm going to do what I want anyway. I'm, I'm, if you tell me a two, I might do a two. I don't know. I'm going to see how it looks. I might do a one. I don't know. I'm going to do whatever I want because it'll look good. But it'll be in that range for me. You know what I'm saying? But know what you mm-hmm. want generally. That's the first thing. Second thing, show up on time without any substances in your system. I used to cut this one guy wow. in, he was like nodding off on heroin. It was a mess or like guys that lose or they're kind of gross in the chair. Like just, you know, whatever. Don't, don't be drunk or high and show up on time, you know? And then, uh, you know what? I'm going to add two more things actually. Uh, I think the drunken high one is just a good rule for <laughs> being any kind of yeah. like social interaction that you have to have in a professional way. Like, yeah. 
unless it's literally a drinking contest, like just yeah. don't don't do that don't to get, other people. Don't get served high. Yeah, I mean, I, that's yeah, and it, like, listen, it's it's not the end of the world if you can keep your shit together. But you know what I'm saying? Like, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to deal with a drunk guy, but if you come after you had one or two drinks and you're still able to be coherent and yeah, there, then it's fine. Yeah, that's um, very yeah, that's very different. Third thing: don't be gross. Don't be gross. Like, there's nothing that bums me out more than if a dude comes into our barbershop, which as of now is an all-male staff, although we do have a female apprentice starting. Um, don't say stuff like, oh, yeah, this chick used to cut my hair, but, you know, women don't know how to cut hair. Don't say stuff like that. Because right away, yeah. we're going to make fun of you for the rest of your haircut so bad you never want to come back. We're going to talk about how your genitals have nothing to do with your ability to perform a haircut, what makes you think that way. Oh, do you hate women? We're going we're gonna to yeah. roast so don't do yeah, that. Right. We'll beat you up. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing, you guys got a tip. I'm not saying yeah, tip a lot. Sorry, man. You, the scale. you ready? <laughs> Here's the scale. Generally speaking, most barbershops are going to charge between 20 and not the highest, like 50-ish. My shop mm-hmm. charges 30. For a $30 haircut, do not tip less than $5. Less than $5 is insulting. Like, I don't want you to come back. It's insulting. You, you, it, it, it's less than 20%. You wouldn't leave that at a restaurant. It's just kind of gross. 10 is a, good, is a good tip. It doesn't matter how much you pay for the haircut. $10 is a good tip. If you go get a haircut at a $20 place or a $50 place, 10 bucks is fine. Mm-hmm. If you tip 20, you will be in the elite tier of dudes that always get stuff. And if something happens, I go out of my way for you. And if you're late, I'll squeeze you in. So generally speaking, if, you, if we really matter to you, tip 20. If you're like an average kind of like decent human, tip 10 and don't tip less than five. If you're a little bit of a cheapskate and you want to tip five bucks, you think that's fair? Totally cool. You're always welcome. No big deal. But tipping less than five bucks really on any service kind of sucks. That's I the- think the rule of thumb is if you're not ready to, to, to tip for a haircut, then just let your mom keep doing it. Like that's the rule that should be, that should be there, Jeremiah. I mean, now, now you know. Let me say this too. I actually don't agree with tipping economically. I think it's kind of a <laughs> established, but it's the system that we've established. It's like yeah, the yeah. Jeremiah. You had the better haiku, but you know you had the eight. The eight. Yeah, word. I know. I said and. I screwed up. <laughs> you, call, but you know what I'm saying? Like I don't. It's yeah. not that I want the tips. It's just that when I estimate how much my income is, I'm accounting for a, about a twenty percent or so mm-hmm. more margin because that's generally. Yeah. So if you go yeah. less than that, you're hurting my bank because that's the system I work in. I, I don't like right. it, I don't agree with it, but that is the system. My right. my um my sister in law used to cut my hair a lot, and then the last person I had along was my one of my wife's good friends. We got married, and she's like, "Oh, you should go to Tina. She's awesome, and she was really good. Really, she like did everything, yeah. and she was. And so my rule with both of them was just when they hand the phone over for me to you know do the hand sign and like. Whatever the highest number I could click on was just the one. Yes. Like, that's also a good way to do it. It usually so it usually comes up with three options or two options. Just pick yep. one. Mm-hmm. That's totally fine too. Like it doesn't matter what yeah. that number is, but one of those options is a safe option. You know, mm-hmm. but if you so, go to like enter a custom tip and you tip two dollars, <laughs> I never want to see you again. Like <laughs> you went out of your way to tip me less than the standard. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Standard, if so, fine. But just tell me, and I'll give you the haircut for free. Yeah. <laughs> how, now, how did you get into to being a barber? So I 
I, I've tried my hand at a few careers. I, I was like a I was like a smart kid growing up. Uh, so I think there's like a real pressure on smart kids to not work trades. Uh, the idea mm. is like, well, you're in the top 5% of your class. You should go to college. You should go to grad school. You should be a doctor, Ivy League, whatever. And I never felt like that. I always felt kind of like a working class person. Um, so I did go to college. I was in bands. I was a personal trainer. I used to own a powerlifting gym. Um, I did a bunch of different things in my life. And uh, right before I was a barber, I finished grad school and I was doing some kind of like freelance consulting work for nonprofits. Basically I was helping them with their like numbers and their like strategic plans and stuff like that. And um, I would charge them. They would pay me for a deliverable. I'd give it to them. I really hated doing it. Um, mm -hmm. It didn't feel like I was doing anything. It just felt like I was feel too disconnected from the, from the work they were doing. Well, realistically, if you're running a nonprofit with a decent budget, the people who work at your nonprofit know the problem better than I will, even though I went to an Ivy league school. You know what I'm saying? So like you're paying me to say something that I've been telling you for a year and you haven't acted on. Mm -hmm. And I just, that never sat right with me. So my options were pretty limited. I was thinking, well, I'm a good candidate for an MBA program. I'm a good candidate for law school. I'm an okay candidate for med school. So I started thinking about all these things and I, I was thinking, man, I, I like working with my hands. I like building things, but I'm also a people person. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll try to do some kind of medical specialty. And I thought about doing dentistry. So I started working at this dental clinic. And I was just volunteering there trying to like get the lay of the land and get some, uh, some like volunteer hours in before I took the DAT. That's like the grad school exam for dentists. And while I was doing that, I, I just, it hit me that I was just, I had walked down this path in my life that I just, I wish that I could have talked to my 17 year old self and knock on mm -hmm. down. I just tried so many things that I didn't like. And I saw that I was just doing it again. I was actually getting ready to interview for a second master's degree in addition to doing this, other, I was just like, what am I doing? None of this stuff is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I talked to my then girlfriend about it and she was like, yeah, you're not happy. Like you got to fix that. That's more important than anything. So, uh, slight unseen, I quit all of my jobs. I left my apartment. I moved back in with my mom. Uh, and I spent the summer waiting tables and surfing and just hanging out. Like how old were you at that point? 33 or four. Wow, so that, was, that takes guts. Yeah. It was really rough. Like, all my friends are buying houses and having kids. And here I am like my failed marriage, my failed reign Supreme, my failed stint in the Marine Corps. Mm. I was ostensibly like starting to walk down a path that people would call as successful. And I just hated it. It just wasn't me. So I decided I'd spend that summer like really thinking about what I wanted to do. And I, because I am a nerd, I had this crazy Excel spreadsheet with all of these professions and a bunch of different metrics so like, Seriously. yeah, like, like median salary, um, like, um, like basically a ratio between like how much money and time it takes to do something and how much you can make and how much free time you'd have. Like I had all these like ratios like worked out. You essentially created a dating app for yourself for careers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's hey guys, this is a quick interruption to invite you to check out the epicenter. The Epicenter is our Patreon-based online community. If you're enjoying this podcast, you should check it out because there's a ton more content just like this. There are three different tiers with tons of other perks like exclusive music, video content, and merch with more being added each month. And it's all built around a Discord server where we hang out and keep each other encouraged and inspired. Additionally, there are bonus episodes between the note each month available only to Patreon members. Right now, the patrons have access to a whole series of episodes we are doing on our 2010 album, Yet. It's a track-by-track -track breakdown 
and the most recent one is on our song, Ashes. In it, Jeremiah, Nate, and I discuss the writing and recording of that song. Here's a short clip of us discussing the gang vocal elements to the record. Yeah, I just remember like the the gang vocal thing, which we had started doing a little bit into I Am Undone. This song is really like owning it, and our friends yeah. really stepped up, and I could just I could pick their voices out still, them just like blowing their voices out. Come, they all came down. We talked <laughs> told the story already, but yeah. they all came down to studio together, and it was just such a fun experience for all of us because we were just getting to know Goldman, and Goldman was just getting to know us, and um. And I, I think he still had some hesitance about because I had told him this song's gonna have gang vocals and this song's gonna have gang vocals and this song's gonna have gang vocals. <laughs> and I think Goldman had listened to me sing enough to be like, why? How is that gonna be a great thing for you? Like you, that's not the thing that your voice wants to do. And I, I, I think we just had a really clear picture that it was gonna be that it it was gonna do what what our shows did. That was the goal. Like we didn't want to have screaming, but we wanted it to feel like our show felt, which was like people yell the lyrics they like um and as soon as they came down and started doing it he was like oh yeah this is cool this is gonna work um i mean he still pushed i think i still wanted to do it on every song and he pushed back on that but <laughs> did we i i don't know if that's true we 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 actually had plans for gang vocals no but i just think either. i i think there was a couple of times i was like oh and then maybe we could do another gang oh vocal. yeah in and the moment yeah, would yeah, be like yeah. no maybe not maybe you just sing that part <laughs> you know maybe we just don't and it's yeah, like I a weird, like the gang vocal thing is weird because I think in the world that you guys were in at the time, that was so normal. But like you, you, you have to feel for Matt's hesitance now, right? Where you're just like, <laughs> yeah. why? Like nobody wants this or listen, you know, like yeah. any, anyone that's out outside of sort of that hard, weird, hardcore, like you guys are on face down a hardcore label. And it's like anything outside of that, it's like, why why do that? Like it's yeah. just, it's really weird, you know. Obviously, yeah. like I'm not trying to like bad talk the record or whatever. Like, do like, it. It's just it's just interesting. It's just well, like it one right. For it the does record, date sure. the record to a certain extent. Like yes. it does put it in a certain space and time, which is interesting. I mean, at the time, even Anathala was yelling in their records, so it was like you know, it was like for sure. But like, felt, you, have you heard that in like the last five years? No, I guess, not or, as much. Yeah. No, it was definitely like. I didn't realize it at the time. It didn't feel like it, but it was one of those things that you look back on and go, that was of the time. And mm. it, but it really did grow out of like, A, this is what happens at a good show. People do this yeah, naturally. for sure. And then B, so this will let us even make it clear to them which parts they should do it. Yes. I know. <laughs> it's like the most Aaron Stone thing ever. Like This way, I they don't have to wonder. They just won't know. <laughs> They'll just do it. That's it's like ultimate control over the audience. No, don't yell that part at yeah. all. Nope. That you guys don't, you don't yell there. It's coming up. It's coming up. You're early. Remember, you heard it. You got to listen to the record more because it's coming up. It's right here. If you want to hear the rest of that conversation and get a ton more awesome content just like it, maybe take a minute and go check out The Epicenter over at patreon.com slash The Epicenter. Now back to this week's episode. So uh, I basically I talked to a bunch of barbers, hairstylists, electricians, um, steam fitters, all these different trade jobs because I thought that's what I wanted to do. And it just seemed like every barber I talked to was stoked. They were like, yeah, man, I make like X amount of money. It's pretty good. I work hard, but... I like what I do every day. I have plenty of free time. I travel a lot. I can listen to music and drink coffee all day. It's like pretty sick. And that was it. Like I talked to a few guys. I decided I'd shadow a buddy at a shop one day. I did. And I was like, I could do this. So in a pre-COVID world, uh, I went to barber school and I finished that and I didn't know anything. So I started apprenticing at the shop I work at now. And 
now I've just worked there the whole time pretty much that I've had a license. So just been there and I'll probably stay there until I leave Philadelphia or open a shop or do something else. Mm-hmm. I think it's super, super important what you're talking about that we've so devalued and and really bad talked blue collar careers yeah. when it's it's been my life experience like that I you know, as at a young age, like I was good at speaking and I always got really good grades. And so I was, you know, I just, it was just, the conversation was just, well, you go to college and then you go to grad school. I did both of those things. Um, and now I found myself in my late thirties, like really trying to amass actual, cause the things that have paid off are the things where along the way I picked up crafts, yeah. like I picked up the ability and I'm really envious now. And I, I feel like we need to really, I mean, I, I guess they tried a little bit with like, I went to public school my, my whole life until college and there was always Votech programs to like learn those kind of things, but it was almost a joke. Like you go to Votech because you're not a college kid yes, and exactly. right, right, which is so wrong. Yep. Like the people, I mean, so now we live in a country that's basically just all service industries and we can't make anything yep. like, and we're, and I think like we have a generation now where I'm trying to get like my nephews and other young guys to see like, there's just as much value like to make something with your hands is almost more enjoyable uh, I, in my personal experience, like Jeremiah is a really gifted woodworker, um, and I'm constantly like just super jealous. <laughs> like, that, um, uh, I've I've been learning like video work, and I own a video business now, and like how to make you know how to make films and stuff. But it it is really true, man. Like we grew up in an era. It sounds like we're like of a cer- certain similar age, like where that stuff just was like plumber, electrician was just all like a joke, mm-hmm. and yeah. I, how did we get there? Like, why did we devalue people having a skill, like really like a skill that is needed? I think that there was a real, there was a real paradigm shift that occurred during our generation where college was really important and high school became essential. And so you saw this really funny shift where a lot of my friends were the first generation to graduate from a decent college, like NYU or something with a bunch of student loan debt and got offered jobs for $40,000 a year working in Manhattan. And they were like, I, I, wait a minute, hold on. I can't do this. Yeah. How am I going to do this? And no one ever told them that. And myself included. I didn't know that. My parents were just like, go to school, be a doctor, you'll be okay. And then eventually I was like, will I though? Like, that's a lot of student loan debt. That's a lot of lost years of income spent on school. That's a lot of, like, right. for what to say that that's what I do? I mean, Everyone I know that worked a trade right out of high school are the happiest people I know. They own two or three homes. They're, they're getting close to retirement in their 30s. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. we, I never heard that narrative. Like to, I was always told that like the people who did the, the work were somehow less than me. And, right. and I, yeah. I never, that never resonated with me because they always seemed to be the coolest people. So I never got yeah. that. But that's, that was a real... They're always- yeah, they're always the ones that like own a boat, and it's like, well, it can't be that yeah. bad. They like own yeah. a boat, like you can't just. Is um, yeah, it's funny because I, I think we're about to. I think we're headed towards a really big bursting of the college bubble. Uh, yeah. I think it, it reminds me of the housing bubble, like you know, twelve years ago, because college is a business. They'll sell you any degree if you want to go to school. And I'm not going to do any, anything. Can be a profession if you get good at it, good enough at it. But there can only be like. You know, if we've got a billion people going for creative writing, that's just not going to pan out. If we've got a billion people, you know, going for graphic design, that's not going to pan out. I mean, they'll sell you like a a doctoral, you know, degree in Harry Potter studies. If you, J.K. Rowling study, if you want it, they'll sell you that degree. 
because yeah. they're just trying to make money off of you. And I would always tell kids, and I know I had parents get mad at me and say, don't go to college if you don't know what you want to do because Absolutely. you could be paying a lot of money. And honestly, a lot of the degrees people pay to go to college for, they would learn so much better if they apprenticed, yes. which in the long run, isn't that like, I mean, a college was just a way of securing that kind of education. If you had a good uh, apprenticeship, that person's going to tell you what resources you need to learn and own. They're going to teach you hand. You know, it used to be that colleges grew out of that. Like, well, if I go here, they're going to show me what to read. And now it's just like, it's just a, it's, it's the emperor has no clothes for a lot of people. Um, so much debt. Um, I was curious about the, I, I couldn't remember the percentage off the top of my head, but in 2013, a study came out that said only 27% of college grads have a job related to their major. Just yeah, well, some sort of like, yeah, it's insane. I'm evidence yeah. of that. I, you guys probably are too. It's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I just don't see the point for a lot of people. And that's the thing. It was this narrative that got pushed that it was like, there's like a virtue to being a college graduate, isn't there? Like, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, there's this like moral high ground that you went to college. And fuck that. Like, I, <laughs> it's not important. You know, it's, it's, we got, a, we, we really got away. And I, you know what? I'll, I'll say two things about this. One is, it is the ultimate example of American decadence. It is our indulgence and our belief that somehow our moral superiority of, oh, you're smart, your kid went to college, oh, they're going to do so much better than my son who's like a, a, a plumber. And it's like, well, yeah, but that plumber was making like 60 grand in 1995. Right. Like, that's pretty good. And they're probably, if they own like a decent business or if they're in a union, they have benefits, they have retirement. Yeah. They have like unemployment. Like there's there's all kinds of good things that they have. Right. That the average college graduate is not getting. And yeah, if you do the math on that, the return isn't there. And we're it, it's also you said uh, colleges will sell you anything. Well, this is late stage capitalism. This is what happens when you make everything mm. a commodity. Healthcare, education, like these things should not be commodities. In a truly virtuous society, we are above that. Education is the thing that we provide so that we can build a better generation of humans and a better world. Healthcare is the thing we provide because, well, realistically, it is the government's imperative to not commit violence against the citizens. And I would say that corporations making healthcare unavailable to your average American citizen is a form of violence. And so we're really experiencing this like cognitive dissonance in a really painful and tangible way in our generation. And I hope to God it gets fixed. I mean, I'll give you guys an example. I, uh, I'm a really healthy person. I got like 23 in me, like health done. And my only risk factor in my genes, thank God for uh, diversity of genes, by the way, uh, is that my eyes might get worse as I get older. Like not that big a deal, right? I have broken bones playing sports, but I've never really had a major health problem. But in the last two years, I've gotten two really bad like stomach problems. One was a virus and one I think was an ulcer. So my doctor told me to go get an endoscopy. And side note, I have insurance from Apple, like the, the company Apple. Like I have their- Oh, wow. Yeah, this is a long side story, but my ex-girlfriend works for Apple and we broke up right after I was on her insurance for this year. So I'm still on it. Oh, oh we're wow. Cool. We're cordial, it's fine. But like I, I'm still on her insurance. <laughs> so thank God for January because I'll be getting off that. But anyways, um, so I'm on Apple's insurance and- the doctor sent me the bill for my endoscopy, which is literally, he's just got to look at my 
digestive tract to make sure it looks okay. And he told me over the phone, he's like, I think you're fine. He's like, I think you just got sick. It's going to be like $2,000 out of pocket for me. Wow. In a, during coronavirus. Like, mm. I have money, man. I'm, I make a good income. I come from a family that has a little bit of money. We're not rich. We're not, I grew up okay. You know, I was lucky. And mm. I have a nice apartment. I'm college and grad school, Ivy League educated. And this $2,000 bill, that's painful to me. That's yeah. like one month's rent. That's, that's like a lot of money for me to come up with for like, what, a, a couple, like an hour, maybe not, maybe like half hour. Yeah. And there's something really wrong where someone like me who has a good job and pays pretty high taxes and lives in a, this, what, the sixth or seventh biggest city in America mm-hmm. and is a valued member of the community can like kind of afford healthcare and I have Apple healthcare. Yeah. Like all of those factors to me seem really messed up. Yes. So yeah. that's what, that is unfortunately what happens when you have the narrative pushed that regulation is bad and mm-hmm. that you need to let the free market decide because the free market's decided. It's decided that you and I are not worth protecting and the well, shit yeah. is more fun than anything. Uh, ultimately, the capitalism is always going to trip over the fact that it rewards greed. Um, yes. it's always, it always is going to, and yeah. And so then what are we going it, to, it's just proven over and over again. It, it's not going to regulate itself. Um, no. People are going to take advantage of each other, which I wish we lived in a world that, that didn't. And, and I hope we're moving towards one that doesn't, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, I know so many kids and honestly, college only worked out for me because my parents paid, told me if I got good grades, they pay for my undergrad. So that's a lot of privilege. And then my grad school, I, I, I got a, um, I got it all in scholarship. But otherwise, like, yeah, it would have been a bunch of debt and a, for a degree that I, I would say that obviously college can be an, a, an enlightening experience if you if you lean into it and go for something like the experience of working hard and studying. That was all that's all relatively helpful for sure. Yeah. But I could have got that for a lot cheaper uh, <laughs> in a lot of other ways than than for the money that I would have had to spend to get it through through college. Um, and I, I, just, I push that. I push that even further and say, not that you could have, but that you should have, because the yeah, imperative I think is on us as a moral society to say that every child who grows up in our borders and even really beyond our borders, but at least within mm-hmm. our borders, mm-hmm. should be tr- like we should be actively engaging them and investing in them for the future. But we didn't do that. We try to squeeze every little bit of value out of everybody that we can at all times. But guess what? Mm-hmm. The system eventually collapses under its own bullshit. Right. And right. we're starting to experience that. I mean, yeah. there are solutions to these problems. It's not like we're it's not like we're fucked. It's not like it's beyond fixing. It's just that mm-hmm. we have to take really smart, measured steps now to reel the train back onto the tracks before it yeah. goes. Because it's starting to well, go. Well, yeah, the, and the interesting, you know, there's obviously now we've got this massive problem of such different streams of, of information, like the way the news is presented to people and what news sources they trust. We're living in parallel societies in the same yes. country. I mean, I, I, uh, I uh, you know, grew up a pastor's kid and worked at a church for a while and, and knew many wonderful people through that experience that I love who are a part of my social media life. And then I'm also an artist who's lived, you know, communally and that whole experience. And so, and it was just, I, I, I trend more towards that way politically, although I'm a person of faith, but I have those two worlds in my media stream and like in my Facebook and they can't, they don't know each other and they can't talk to each other. And so to, to see the way they're perceiving issues, it's like, that's to me, the real issue is like, 
how do we get to hear each other? Because it's like, I have some of those friends from that world. And if I try to make some of these arguments or have these conversations, they're just fundamentally not seeing the world you're describing. It's not in front of them. There's nowhere. And, and there's almost nowhere for them to encounter it. So it's like, you know, you, you, mm-hmm. you can get, in, I can get incensed and want to go into a shame on you mentality, but then it's just like, but they don't even see it. Like it's not in front of them. Like, you know, it's like, so it, it but I, I think a lot of it, and I appreciate what you're saying, Jay has to do with a lack of imagination. Um, so we don't, what'd you say? That I think so too. We, we just don't imagine, uh, that the world could be so much better. And for a lot of people, they're not imagining that because their experience is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, their, their eyes aren't that open to the struggles of other people. And when it's very destabilizing, uh, destabilizing for them to hear other people's, uh, stories that are so different from theirs, they just can't. Yeah. It, it blows my mind when people say stuff like racism isn't real. Like, okay, like, listen, dude, you're one person of currently what about 8 billion walking the planet. Right. Just because you haven't experienced something and I don't know, 40,000 other people are saying it's real. Maybe they, you know, maybe the 40,000 experiences outweigh the one. If they say it's real, like, especially if you're going to claim to have any kind of faith, trust your fellow person, love them. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. right. And right. I, let me do this to these two things. Cause I, as a philosophy person, you might appreciate this. Anybody who bring it on. Yeah. So I have these two, I have these two ideas about why we are in the situation we're in when it comes to living in this truly binary country, at least mm-hmm. politically. <clears throat> There's two things. One is we live in a society where as children, we are raised in ways that are insanely traumatic and painful. And we never really get to actualize. Most of us don't anyway. Um, We never really get to actualize. And so by the time someone hits 18, by the time they hit 30, by the time they hit 60, they're an overgrown baby. They've never really gotten to cry out and say like, hey, like you hurt me or hey, like I'm in pain, like, hey, this sucks. And so every chance they get to act out that they do, they lash out at people, they they, they act like they're better than others. And it's this insane thing where people never really addressed all this childhood drama and pain and just bring it with them forever, projecting it out on the world. It's this really toxic disease. Mm. And I think that if we lived in a world that was less focused on men being men or women being perfect and beautiful or you're this or you're that. And we lived in a world which, I mean, if anybody of faith is listening to this, like the golden rule that has been just love each other. It's not that hard. I don't have to agree with you. I'm sure we have things that we disagree with, but that's not that important in the grand scheme of things. What is that we're able to sit together and be together and experience this world painful alone together beautiful united separate all of the all of the joy and wonder and pain and darkness of the human experience in the world we right. all experience that together why is that not more important that's the yeah yeah and the second thing i'll say is this in grad school the biggest thing i learned was the idea of paradox so the guy who started my program was this organizational psychologist and he he realized that a lot of things just in the world and he wrote a book about it, i think in the 70s or 80s the only model to explain them that makes any sense is paradox. Like mm. you only really grow when you get broken down. Why is that? Mm. There's just so many things that don't make sense and people need to start to be comfortable with the idea of paradox, right? Mm. Like the, the upcoming election is a perfect one. 
a lot of people aren't going to vote for Joe Biden because he's not Bernie Sanders. Yo, you know what? That's okay. You don't have to fully back every single thing the guy does to vote for him. If you want a better country, you can vote for this guy. If you want the country to be the way it is, you vote for the other guy. And that's that. But if you learn to wrestle paradox, if you learn to say, like, I am a person of value, but today I'm going to sit on the couch and watch South Park all all day, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Paradox explains so much about the world. And so many people are just like, well, if you're a hardworking person, then you shouldn't be poor. And it's like, you can be hardworking and poor. It's paradoxical, but it's the only way to explain it. And it does make sense if you break it down. And I think that if we as a society focused on hearing people and saying, hey, I see that you're acting out a lot in work. Um, maybe you should go to counseling. Maybe you need to talk to someone. Maybe we need to like have a conversation instead of just waiting until the person breaks and then isolating them and blaming them for their own problems. Right. And simultaneously, we're able to tell people, yo, it's okay that you're you know, a high achiever, but you don't want to go to college. Like those things are paradoxical, but it's the only way to explain how some people are and therefore it's valid and it makes sense. I think that if we could embrace those two things, that binaryism would start to break. But yeah, I think when you talk about the value of suffering, it, uh, I, I talk a lot when I'm talking to young people about all valuable things are costly. Yeah. Um, there is, even as a person of faith, even at the story of, of, of Christ, uh, people will be like, well, grace is free. It's like, actually, no. Did you not read about the crucifixion? Like, it, yes. it, it, nothing, nothing valuable is not costly. Um, and it, and it, I, for a minute there, I was like, oh, dude, he's really, he's really going into shy hulud mode. I thought you were going to start talking about misanthropy. I was thinking of hope within hatred, <laughs> uh, life through loathing. I'm sure you know all the lyrics, but uh, that that stuff was always really, really cool to me. But the idea that, like, yeah, that that. Like, how do you grow muscle? You destroy it. You rip muscle. Like, you have, mm-hmm. to, you have to do work to grow things. I also think, and there's something you were touching on in the first point, which is I think we live in a society that has swung too far in overvaluing independence to the point of undervaluing community and interdependence. Yes, absolutely. Um, we, 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 it is important narrative. Uh, there's a, an author that Jeremiah and I like a lot and read a lot um, in our college years, and he talks a lot about um, that um, America was born with rebellion in its bones. And so uh, it, it, it natural, it's part of our story growing up in this country is like we have to rebel every few years just to make sure we still know how. Um, but when you're just defined by rebellion, then where, what are we headed towards? Like it can just be – and if you just keep fighting for your – independence it's like well then we just end up as a- alone and not understanding each other and so how do we move back towards like yeah um like it's funny to me now that like a word like that's built around the word community and then like like that obviously the word social now even just the word social is so triggering for mm-hmm. people but it's just like like do we need each other any healthy right. society or religious system talks about the value of Nobody understands everything. Nobody's good at everything. We have to find a way to come together and benefit from each other's strengths and make up for each other's weaknesses. Uh, so, man, I really respect and appreciate a lot of uh, everything you just said. Mm-hmm. I just want to know when you're running for office, um, Jay. <laughs> it's it wouldn't be that weird to add that to your uh, to your <laughs> resume. Well, I don't think voters are going to support a guy who got kicked out of the Marines, but. Um... <laughs> It depends on how you frame the story. 
<laughs> I would do it like this. I was young and vulnerable and trying to prove myself. I was trying to be somebody I wasn't. And now that I know that, I would go to a younger person and say, hey, this isn't the path for you. But I didn't know that at the time. It was a mistake. Right. You know, yeah. I, I, it's funny, man. You're not the, you guys aren't the first people to say that to me. I, I think I just, I don't know, man. I think it's just my personality. I think I'm just a big, like, uniter of people. But I, <laughs> dude, that is lacking. That is lacking in the narrative right now. We have too much principle built on bullshit. And truly brave people who are trying to make a difference and who are trying to bring people together are ostracized, they're mocked, mm -hmm. they're humiliated. And the worst part is there's no basis for it. And I don't understand that. I don't understand why we can't live in an America that is multicultural, diverse, but also respects each other's, uh, you know, sort of individuality as well. Like, is, that's not even paradoxical. That You don't even need a model. <laughs> right. right. So, yeah. I don't know. We're just, it's just become so clear to me, and this isn't derogatory at all, because I, I find myself in the, the same place. Like, so many people are just afraid. And I think if it, it helps me to look at people who come to totally different conclusions than I do and see like, man, there's just a lot of fear. And then on top of that, like the systems that exist, that we exist in, at least in this country, just exploit that fear constantly from all yeah. sides. Absolutely. And, you know, you're either afraid that that this ideal for the country that you had is going to go downhill or you're literally afraid for your life or you're afraid that uh, you won't be welcome in the community that you grew up in or there's so many things that people are just afraid at this point. And, and, and then on top of all that, you're afraid that um, this, this virus is going to take a bunch of people out or you're afraid that uh, the government's going to overset their bounds because of the virus and take uh, the virus and take away all your freedoms. Like everybody's just freaked out, you know, whether they want to admit it or not, like fear is just such a driving force right now. And I think it's just causing us all to close up and then also lash out as well. And so you've got, you just got this crazy hodgepodge of like how people react when the, the fear level just has gotten to a point that's just too much to really, take and then on top of everything you guys said it's just chaotic well, a, at this point and fear is a useful tool right it's we we all need it it keeps us safe to a certain degree but i, I think this reminds me of that uh, elizabeth gilbert quote about fear is something that you keep you need to keep it in the car but it needs to sit in the back and you don't let it touch this the the stereo mm -hmm. like it can't be in charge because your fear tells you like when you're on a dangerous cliff or you know if you're doing something you shouldn't be but when it takes over it's it's not a good thing mm -hmm. to be making decisions from I, I was gonna ask just to kind of double back a little bit jay like now that you you've been barbering now for how long like actually in it um i think i started barber school in 2016 so uh coming up on four years does it feel like you've really landed on something that feels like what you you're really enjoying it? Like you really love it. This is another problematic conversation for me. We have this narrative again in our society that you have to love what you do. Sure. You don't have to love what you do, man. It's not that important. I don't know that many electricians that are really passionate about circuitry, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you, you do a job. Sometimes you love what you do and it's like your passion and you invest in it and that's who you are and that's beautiful and wonderful. Sometimes you do a job because 
it's got good insurance for you and your partner and you can raise your kids happily and afford a house and that makes you happy. There don't have to be these like extraneous virtue reasons related to jobs. And for me, I really like barbering, but it's a job. Like I love it. Every day I practice my best. I try to give the best haircuts. Every day I challenge myself. I try different techniques. I try to use different ways to blend things. I'm always working on it. It's like a meditation for me. It's a craft. It's a pursuit. It's a thing I get better at. But to answer your question, I don't know. I mean, real COVID has me rethinking a lot of things. Like it's shattered our perception of what society looks like in the future, right? Mm -hmm. So Andrew Yang's been talking a lot about automation and uh, a change to the economy to make it more human-centered, human-centered capitalism is this thing. And I'm starting to wonder if the barbershop ultimately is a sustainable model. Uh, to me, it always was. But I'm wondering in a world where we're truly global, if I can expect that my shop will not go through another coronavirus in my lifetime. And I'm starting to think, no. I mean, in 2001, I was in the Marines when 9-11 hit. In 2008, I was touring consistently when the market crashed and you know nobody had any money anymore. And now I'm cutting hair and people are scared to go to the barber shops and some people can't afford it. And some people don't care because they're working behind a computer at home all day. So who cares what their hair looks like? And some people like having long hair. So there's a lot of things there. And I think, I think smart people will pivot, right? Like I said before, I like doing long haircuts on, on, on people who want my style of long haircut. So I'm fine with that. Um, but I can't control for, you know, if uh, COVID-20 <laughs> strikes uh, in a few months, I can't control for that. So there has been some part of me that's been contemplating lately, learning another skill or another trade or something else, but I don't know. I mean, I, I, I appreciate you saying that because I, I, I agree that like this whole narrative and I, and it's not exactly what I was trying to get at, but this narrative that like of arriving yeah. of like. Every indie movie that ends with people discovering themselves, it's like self-discovery and, and wisdom is a lifetime journey. Absolutely. Like it, it's always going to be in play. Yeah. Um, and, and I think what you're really getting at, which I really appreciate, is like barbering right now is my profession. I take it seriously. It's my craft. It's my job. It's my living. It is not my identity. No. Um, oh, my God. No, 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 no. And in fact, at my shop, uh, and I hope no barbers like this are listening because you're probably going to hate me for saying this. We really clown on guys that are barbers as identity. Like that's such a corny thing to be like, oh yeah, like, uh, you know, I got my motorcycle and my barber pole tattoo and my, you know, I have my, my wife is like a pinup girl and like, yo dude, you're, you're a clown, you're a dork, you're cosplaying. Like it's just, you know, we, we don't really mess with that. Like we, we take it really seriously and we're very, we like know the classic methods. We're really traditional, but we're trying to make it a modern classic kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. But I don't like, I don't come home from work and I'm like, man, I'm such a cool barber guy. Like that's not my, idea. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. I like it, but that's, that's where it ends for me. You, it's, right. I would, I'm going to guess this Jay, just from the short conversation we've had, but I, I know because it's a gift that I have recognized in myself since becoming a little older, and I see it in people. But I, I think I, I think you have it. You have the ability to create a community. Like when you're in a room like that, everybody's getting their haircut. You have the. We're one of the people who has the ability to create a vibe. Like you can make people feel like they're welcome, or if you wanted to, not welcome. Yep. Um, but I but I think that's a really valuable skill. And when people come in, and you guys are having those moments and those conversations, like. It sounds like that's also really important to you. Like when they come in, like like you said, not 
they're, you're not, they're not sitting for a counseling fee, but you do want them to feel like this is a human experience yeah. and you're valuable and we're going to have a conversation. You're going to matter. Um, is that something that like consciously is, was been there for you? Cause I know in the hardcore scene, when you're, especially when you're a lead singer, <laughs> like you're, you, 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 every, you know, it's so funny. Any hardcore lead singer, if they wanted to, could be a great preacher. Cause they get, they get used to like, bringing the crowd around and giving these speeches or like giving anti speeches, which are still like speeches and stuff. Did that just kind of flow naturally into that world for you? I think the guys in my bands, especially rain Supreme would be like, yo, he is not a gifted speaker. Uh, <laughs> but that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. But I it's, I, yeah, it's not conscious, but I think I just do that. I think my personality is that I, I like our harmony and I like to see people together and I like, I like to empower people. You know what I mean? Mm. So like mm. that, that is important to me. Like I want people leaving the shop feeling like they had a good experience. They had a good haircut. They had a good banter, but also like, you know, I feel a little less alone in the world. Those guys are cool, man. They like live here. They work here. I see them at the bars. Like I can't even walk through my neighborhood without running in like five to 10 guys that I can. Mm. You know? And like, I like them to feel that because ultimately we do share this small community and also the larger community and the global community. And it's important for me to feel like I can be in a room bringing people together, maybe from disparate backgrounds in some way. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't think I consciously do that, but I do think it's important to me and I will admit that I do think I probably have a little bit of a gift for it, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's always, I've said this a lot at our shows the last couple of tours, that uh like before our last song like it's a it's a gift to be heard yeah. when you listen to someone you're giving them a gift and it, it is essentially telling them that they matter and you love them yeah. um and i always tell people like you gave it to us as a band now go and give it liberally because it means a lot yeah. um and i and i think that's really it, just to create any place where people can feel welcome and feel seen and feel heard um just is such a viable thing in this world. I mean, you can right now go on YouTube and you can see a thousand people saying a hundred thousand people, a hundred million people saying they feel lonely. I mean, yeah. what's the number one comment on YouTube videos is like, I wish I had friends like this, yeah. you know? And it's, it's just like, so I think that's when you've learned how to, how to live in a band and live in a van and get along with the same guys for weeks on end. There, there is a skill that grows there for being able to, to barter peace and to create a vibe. I think it's really awesome. I think the loneliness epidemic is also a particularly deadly problem that we're not really talking about too much. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. Um, and I'm really lucky. I have a group of like friends and we are just, we do nothing but gas each other up. It is it's the cutest shit in the world. Like I'll post this stuff <laughs> on the internet and like five of my friends will be like hard eyes, like, Oh, okay. Husband. Or like, damn, you hot boy. <laughs> so, like, we're always doing that stuff. Like me and my, my like other like neck tattooed, powerlifting, like pit bull owning friends casually. I'll be like, yo, where are you at? And be like, oh, I'll be there in like five minutes. All right. Love you. Love you too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cause that's a real thing. And I think like our, our fathers and our generations before us, and also, you know, our mothers, our aunts, our uncles, everybody, there's been this thing about like this stoic bearing of this shared pain. Mm -hmm. And like me and my friends are breaking that shit down. I don't want to be lonely and I don't want them to be lonely. So we do everything. And I'll tell you a great example. My ex that I'm still on her insurance, that was probably the worst breakup I've gone through. And not to gush too much and be like that other barber who laid it on you. I went through, <laughs> I 
I went no worries. Divorce in 2015, then another horrible breakup in 2017. Then I met this girl in 2018, and I thought that was it. I bought a ring. It was serious. Wow. And one day she stayed out till five in the morning, came home, and I was like, "What happened?" And she was like, "I just don't know if I feel the same way anymore." Wow. And I was just like. I mean, you mm. can imagine, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's I, awful. I was crushed. I was like crying at work. I was just a mess, like a mm. mess, uh, l- like broken. But mm. the thing is, I'll say this, I, I had built up a little bit of resilience. I knew that I'd be okay because I'd been broken so many times before. <laughs> but the day that she moved out was one of the hardest mornings of my life. Uh, I, I, we ate breakfast together. We, we just cried together the whole time. Um, I dropped her off at a new apartment. We hugged, we kissed, we said, I love you. I'm so sorry. This didn't work. Like, I don't want to break up. It's not working. We have to, it was excruciating, but that, that day was like a Tuesday. Two of my best buds took off from work that day, met me in my house, like right after that, scooped me up, took me for Mexican food. We went to the King of Prussia mall. We went shopping Mm. all day. We hung out all day. We went to my favorite ice cream place. We chilled all day and all day they had me laughing. Like mm. that's the kind of friends I have. And those are the kind of friends that I want everybody to have. Like we yeah. all need that. And well, and more than any one single person, we need love. And that was love. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they were, they were giving you love. hundred percent. And they didn't have to. And like, I think the narrative a lot of the time is cause you know, other groups of friends I've had, they've kind of been like, Oh, it sucks, man. You all right. All right. And it's like, yeah, that, that works for some people. That's fine. I'm not mm-hmm. judging. But these guys knew that I needed more, you know, and they yeah. stepped up. And I'll step up for them anytime I can, forever, you know. Right. Yeah. I. Yeah. I'm glad that I have that. It breaks my heart that not everybody does, and everybody wants it. And paradoxically, I don't want that with everybody, bro. I cut men's hair for a living. Let me tell you, dudes are the most entitled, annoying people on earth. <laughs> I, I can't. All day long, I get paid to listen to men complain about their lives, and I'm just like, bro, <laughs> like, you have a house, you have a job, like things are. I get it. Things suck. I'm not minimizing that, but like, you'll be okay. So like, I don't want to be best friends with all these people, but the people that I've wanted myself with that love that we have, that's like, that's the real shit. And like, I want everybody to have that. So I try to generate that whenever I can, but at the same time, I'm a pretty guarded person. I don't want that with everybody, but yeah, I I think, yeah, trust is important, you know? And, and, and we, we, this is something we've talked a lot about in the past. It's like, I can, I can love everyone, like be kind, golden rule type love. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't mean trust, and they don't have to go together. No. You know, I can be kind to people that I don't trust. Yeah. Um, but I'm also I've always been very liberal with the with with love because my parents are very always said it a lot, and it's funny. Like I I had a, one of the guys who's in our band when he first joined. He was like, "Dude, you realize you say that you love people a lot," and I never thought about it. And I was like, "Yeah, well." I love a lot of people. It's not a big, that you know, but I, I, I've catch myself at times like saying it to telemarketers and stuff on accident. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, I don't need that. No, thank you. All right. Love you. Wait, what did I just, I just, you know, I guess, you know, maybe it means something to him or whatever, but I think I spent so many years trying to project to the world, the hardest parts of my personality, because I thought that's what the world wanted me to be that I didn't realize that I had this massive capacity for love. Mm. You can ask any of my ex-girlfriends. You can ask the dudes that I'm in bands with. You can ask like the guys that I work with. Like my capacity for love is massive. And I didn't know that because I grew up in a society where the most I, stoic is the wrong word, but you know what I'm saying? Like people that don't kind of show how they feel, people that kind of face. Yeah. Yeah. 
I grew up in that what, what, what changed that? What, what helped you like be open with that? I don't remember anymore. I think just, was it, be, was it being in bands? Was it like the, was it the hardcore scene of like, or was it, you know, just certain friends or something? I think the hardcore scene brought out, I have a really toxic, abusive relationship with hardcore. I think the hardcore scene brought <laughs> the worst aspects of my personality and paradoxically unlocked the best parts of my personality. Mm. So it wasn't hardcore that made me realize that I have this massive capacity for love. It was things that I went through in my life. But now that I have that, I'm able to walk in the music world with it. And I think that the bands that I tour with now and hang out with now, I think those guys know a much better version of me than the guys that I played in like Blacklisted with or even Rain Supreme with. It wasn't that long ago. Um, well, every, you know? every subculture has its, has its pluses and minuses. I, I, but I, I think hardcore has always celebrated passion. Yeah. And when, when you do that long enough, you start to open people, I think, towards, towards compassion and towards being more. Um, it's funny. We, we were talking about this when we, we did an episode with our, you know, our mutual friend Johnny a few weeks ago. Yeah. And um, we played uh, – we're not a hardcore band. We're just a heavy like kind of progressive – kind of like uh, i don't know like think the deftones meet explosions in the sky meets like foo fighters a little bit but but better um, than all three of those but better than all those combined <laughs> uh but um so we're heavy but we're melodic and we don't do we don't we don't do screaming yeah. um but we played this festival with them with advent who we've known for a long time in pittsburgh called sincerity fest yeah. Did you guys ever play that yeah so I think we were the only non-hardcore band, but Jay, who booked it, like he liked us a lot. He yeah. he would book us, and so he's like, "You're playing because I like you. To, I want you to play, and everybody else can go pound sand because it's my fest." Which is yeah. like, love it, you know, just love it. Yeah. And but like because he vouched for us, and I think like Advent vouched for us. Like we were one song in, and the crowd was like with us. They were like, because they could tell the passion was there, the heart was there. We were given a hundred ten percent, and. That to me is like what I always valued about the hardcore scene. Um, I think and, you have a little bit of an idealistic view. Of <laughs> I, I think that's the best of what it can offer. Absolutely, but yeah. that's a small percentage of what it does offer. Well, it also it also really uh, glorifies violence in a way that it, that can be troubling at times. It glorifies. It also glorifies um, microscopic violence. So. There's a lot of bullying in hardcore. There's a lot of like judgment. There's a lot of like holding mm. what, like bullshit against someone. There's a lot of like mm. um, gossip. There's a lot of ugliness there. But paradoxically, there's a lot of beauty there too. And I saw that beauty as a teenager and never looked back. And I still don't. But I'm also not naive enough to think that your average 22-year-old hardcore kid is some well-intentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a lot of these kids are like, kind of miscreants looking for a place to fit in. And sometimes right. in scenarios, just like a frat boy, you might do something stupid and it sucks. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I don't hold that against everybody. And I, I certainly, I am no angel. I've done a lot of really dumb things, but I'm lucky enough now that I survived it. I didn't go to prison and I've learned for, from it. And I don't think I've hurt anybody that badly. Um, so I think that I'm okay. Maybe I hope so. I don't know, but <laughs> yeah, it's it's the best and the worst of what humans can offer to each other in a really passionate and oftentimes violent form. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it feels like it's probably time to go to thanks, no thanks, Mike. You do you agree? I agree, man. This is a great talk about barbarism. 
<laughs> yeah, and and also just solving all the world's problems while That's we're right. at it because, I because love it. just let it be known that Jay's too deep a dude to stay in the in the shallow end. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. Yeah, that's. I'm way into it. I'm like, man, can we? We just need to have him back on and talk about whatever. Yeah, this is, these are the conversations we appreciate. We end every episode, Jay, with a segment we called "Thanks, No Thanks." Okay. Um, you get to pick one. You don't get one of each. You just pick one thing you want to say you're thankful for or not thankful for. Um, I'll go first. Uh, I got to be honest and say that this week I'm thankful for my wife, who is almost nine months pregnant with our first child. Um, my wife is tiny. She's like five foot two. Uh, and if that's wrong, she's going to be yelling at the, the computer when she listens to this episode <laughs> saying what her actual height is, but she's tiny and her belly is huge and her back hurts all the time. Uh, but she loves our baby already and she's been such a champ about it. And so I'm super thankful for her. Um, just being so awesome about it. She's still working full time and, we're, she's just a great partner. So thanks to my wife. That's my thanks. Right on. I'll go. Jeremiah, what do you got? Uh, I'm going to thank the Watauga River, which is where I okay. was this last week. And I had a blast, and it was beautiful. And got to float down it a few times. And it was like uh, probably only 25% of the amount of time I wanted to be on it. But it was cool to get that little bit. A little bit of time, so thanks to nature slash Watauga River in Tennessee. Awesome. Jay, what about you, man? I'm going to say thanks to... Oh, triple thanks. Brendan Neary, a good buddy of mine who facilitated the sale of a new road bike for me today. Oh. Cool. Bike shop for setting it up for me. And Alexi Fisk for throwing me some early birthday money to help uh, offset the cost of my... <laughs> I took out for a nice spin today. What'd and you I'll get? Yeah, what'd you get? We're both bikers. Uh, it's a salsa. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So I'm looking it up. I, I don't know. It's essentially a. It's like skeletons. So there, it's like a salsa frame, and it's got I think like Campagnolo like uh, gears or whatever they're called. Oh yeah, those are sick. Yeah, so it's a bunch of different parts, but cool. I was gonna buy this Trek road bike, and my buddy was like, "Dude, there's a there's a bike at the shop right now that's like insanely sick components, and we can give it to you for a discount and like whatever." So oh, I, cool. that's it. so I'm really stoked about it. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's super rad. We, what we really meant is, what color is it? <laughs> <laughs> it is ugliest, ugliest orange. It's insane. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I'll get a new frame at some point, but for now it's fine. Well, in the meantime, that'll keep you a better chance of you not getting hit as severely, uh, being bright orange. Yeah, and being that'll like help this you. in Philadelphia, you really need all the help you can get because it is no war. Kidding. Yeah. Are yeah. you? A, is it going to be a bike to work situation? I walk to work most days. I live about a mile and a quarter from my shop, so I like to nice. walk there and back. It's like a two and a half mile round trip, so I feel like that's a good walk every day. Yeah, that's awesome. But I'll probably. I think I'm going to start doing, I'm a pretty big like lifter. So I'll probably like try to lift three or four days a week. And I'll try to do like somewhat long rides three, like two to three days a week, depending on the, you know, how the week goes. That's um, awesome. Yeah. I'm getting older. I got to take better care of my heart and my blood vessels, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Dude, I love, I love biking. We live right on the Ohio river here in Louisville and I, I, you can bike into the city on the river. Unfortunately on our side of town, since it's more of a depressed area, 
people don't know what biking rules are and they assume if you're on a bike it's because you lost your license and they just honk at you to get off the road um but i can get to the river in like a, in like a half a mile and then it's it's just super beautiful i love it um but dude thank you so much for coming on i know we've uh, just met you but i love you jay and appreciate <laughs> you man and i'm from the bottom of my heart i hope next time i come you can uh, you can shape me up yeah in, i can in philly don't worry awesome <laughs> Yeah. Well, thanks for having thanks me. So much, Jay. Yeah. yeah. All well. Great chatting it. with you. Yeah. Oh, wait. Say again, real quick. The new end record is out. And what's it called? Uh, Splinters from an Ever Changing Face. Oh, hey, real quick. I have another band called Hostile Culture. We just dropped oh, yeah. a band called uh, Technique to Die For. It is radical, gay fronted, super heavy hardcore. Okay. I'm a gay person growing up in the hardcore scene. And it is mean as fuck and it's a bunch of dudes from different bands that you've probably heard of so check it out we're on spotify and all that stuff too hostile what's it called hostile culture yeah jay's only joining super groups these years that's 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 at the point he's at in his career it's gonna be a good yeah awesome check it out all right thanks jay have a good one between the notes the ever since her